Hey everybody, how's it going? Just straighten out. Too many things open. All right, how's everybody doing? We have welcome to the Growing Fishes podcast. Still getting used to the new intro. Not quite smooth yet, but it is great and awesome. Thanks to the wonderful Jamie for making that for us. Um, we have the Growing with Fishes podcast episode 213 this week with Nick Resden. Thanks for joining us, Nick. You actually said my last name right. Everybody always pronounces it Rizdan out there, so I appreciate it. Awesome. If I, uh, I'm glad I got it right there. My name's Raisner and it's R-A-I-S, so I just figured it was similar. Yeah, growing up, my dad, uh, there should have been an E after the R-I-S, you know, in mine. And uh, my dad would get so upset when people call, call him Risden and stuff, and it just stuck with me. But um, now everything's going good. It's been a weird medical week. Um, things were going a lot. I mean, most of my Lyme disease and, um, you know, uh, all my medical symptoms from the tick stuff, I, I've got a lot of that in check. It's more with the bacteria the other diseases it created like the uh stiff man syndrome or uh the eaten bar and um i've had some some weird seizures this week uh, shifting uh michigan weather is shifting um from being at 89 90 degrees to 75 degrees well that that temperature shift adjusting to and stuff so uh, uh but it's been a good week uh happy to be it's weird to stay home in michigan i mean i've, I've lived here for two years and always with the mindset that I was going back to Kentucky, but, but Michigan's home now. So I'm um, happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I'm your host, uh, Steve from Potent Ponics, for those of you that don't know the show. Um, so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and uh, how you kind of came to cannabis. Uh, you you uh, are a big advocate for, for cannabis and health. Uh, you, you live it and preach it. And you've also been victimized because of choosing cannabis uh, for your health as well. So um, uh, a lot of people don't know your, you know, what you've been through. So, uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a background on, on, uh, you know, how you uh, yeah, um, got involved in the cannabis community? I guess, um, I mean, just growing up in Kentucky, I got, I got involved in cannabis, um, 12, 13 years old, 92, 93. Um, you know, um, a lot of family members, a lot of guys, uh, uh, grew from the area that I was in, um, uh, all the cornbread mafia people. I mean, that, that, that's all my town and, and the, the, the town's connecting um, my daddy and uncles and um, Bickett's and all these different guys. I mean, that, that's kind of the, what we grew up in. And, um, you know, uh, so around 90, 96 to 16, I started uh, doing a little gorilla growing with some of these guys. And it was, it was more, um, I packed the water, I packed the buckets, I dig, dig the holes type of things. Um, and uh, around 99, I went off to Moorhead and I decided to start uh, uh, growing for myself indoors. And, um, you know, a lot of people newer to the game don't don't realize how different it was back then. I mean, a thousand water back then was like 500 bucks. I mean, it was big ballast systems. And um, if you pulled off 3000 waters in a house, you had balls as big as steel because, I, I mean, it, it was just something you couldn't do. And um, around 03 i stayed doing it um that was all i did and uh four years into it around 03 um 
I got caught with a 6,000 watt indoor grow room and another 10,000 watt grow room, which was a huge deal in Kentucky at the time. Um, so it was 17 years ago. Uh, I got sentenced to five years of penitentiary fort and, uh, I served a year and got shocked out on parole. And, um, I got into dogs. Um, you know, I was sitting there in a parole office and I'd, I'd always been into dogs. I'd always had dogs, German shepherds. And, uh, I was sitting in pro office and one of these older men that, that I respected came in and, you know, he's about 60 years old and I uh, was telling him how I was having a problem finding a job. He's like, you got to create your own business. And um, I didn't really know anything about dog training. And he told me, um, you know, he, uh, he did driveways and things like that. And it was so that he didn't have to deal with the pro system of trying to constantly find a job. So I went and printed off business cards and called myself a dog trainer. And, um, I love dogs and that's what I wanted to do. And I just studied everything I could <clears throat> get my hands on. And uh, <clears throat> that's pretty much all I did for the next 15 years. Um, in 2008, I won the um, AKC Bluegrass Classic uh, Obedience Championship. And then I got involved with a, a group of dogs that went on to win um, uh, the National Schutzen title, went on to the world team, different things like that. So it was all German Shepherds and it was all over the country. And that's what I, I kept my focus on. Um, I put 19 titles on my female Chelsea. It's sitting in the other room. It's 12 years old. Um, she's one of the highest ranked German Shepherd females in American history. Um, so uh, dogs were everything. And, and tracking was a big part of that. Um, going out and tracking dogs. And, um, you know, Kentucky is a, I, I got bit by ticks growing up in Kentucky from building forts and playing G.I. Joe in the backyard to you know, running around in tobacco fields and everything else. I mean, it's just what happened. But something has happened in the last 10, 12 years, making a shift with climate change and everything else to where these ticks are passing and continue to pass much deadlier bacteria, viruses, parasites, protozoas. Um, and three years ago in June, I got bit by two ticks on my thigh while I was tracking. Uh, a couple days later, I had essentially what was flu-like symptoms, um, couldn't get out of bed. Um, I just thought it was a summer cold and back injury, all this other stuff, everything was swelling up. And I got rushed uh, by a friend to, to the ER um, and they'd done a, a spinal tap and I had a viral and bacterial meningitis. And then kind of all the alarms went off because, um, you know, they don't see anything like that. And all the testing. I was in ICU. Uh, I was in the hospital for around a month. ICU for about two weeks, uh, three weeks. Um, my brain swelled. I got uh, diagnosed with Poisson virus, meningitis, um, uh, meningoencephalitis. I was the 75th case of Poisson virus uh, from a tick um, in the history of ever. Um, the first case ever in Kentucky. And um, I lived through that uh, it also transmitted uh, Lyme disease, Babesia, Bartonella, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, spotted tick fever, um, Ehrlichia. Um, I mean, there was multiple different protozoas and, and parasites that were transmitted. And, you know, doctors didn't know how to treat me. Their idea of treating me was um, how many seizure medications, how many pain pills, how many uh, neurologic medications we can put you on and um see if you can function and they may have all the fda testing in the world to give somebody neurotin 
that they do not have all the FDA testing in the world to give you Neurotin, Adderall, Amitriptyline, um, all these different seizure medications mixed into a cocktail, plus all the IV antibiotics, the regular antibiotics. Um, put me on Adderall for the brain, uh, just racing nonstop after meningitis, lower tabs for the pain, Valium to bring me down from the Adderall, um, on a um, to keep me from vomiting from taking the, the lower tab, uh, seven different seizure medications and like five antibiotics at once. Plus then all these buffer medications like that you have to take to protect your liver or yada, 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 yada. And the shit just got insane. And we tried to find doctors that could do, um, that could actually treat me. And, uh, the best infectious disease doctor we could find was in Washington, D.C. We ended up paying him uh, a huge sum of money. I mean, the first check was $43,000 for IV antibiotics um, and things of this nature. And along this line, this whole time, I'd always, you know, continue to smoke marijuana and all that good jazz. But I didn't believe marijuana was medicine any what more than I'm going to smoke this joint tonight to have road rage driving home from work type of situation. Um and that all changed for me about three months uh, after I got sick. I had had, I, I can't recall how many seizures. I, I, I know that it was a Sunday. I know that um, I'd had so many seizures that I could no longer control um, bodily functions and I couldn't walk. And my fiance was desperate. And I had a friend from uh, high school that lived in Michigan. He had a medical marijuana card. And I mean, this was three years ago. So CBD was still hard to attain even then. And we came up here with the intent of getting RSO and uh, CBD. And, you know, I'm sitting in this uh, dis dispensary and they, they couldn't see me. I didn't have a medical, medical marijuana card, but they had a lounge and they had a, um, a little raw juice bar and they raw juice some CBD. And the stiff man syndrome that the tick created through the meningitis, it, um, at the time I couldn't, I couldn't be in any light, even artificial light. I mean, 11 o'clock at night, you walk into the living room with all the lights off. I was still wearing sunglasses to watch TV and uh, I was sway a lot. Um, didn't really have a visual bearing and they gave me this raw juiced CBD shot and Shannon tapped me on the leg and she's like, you're not shaking. And that was, a almost three years ago and from that moment everything changed i mean i've got every doctor in the world i'm paying all this money to every specialist that's looked at me once or twice just from the rarity and the novelty of all the things that take past to me and then somebody with zero medical experience in a dispensary um just hands me a raw juice shot of cbd and i stopped shaking I didn't have a seizure the rest of the day. Um, at the time, I couldn't uh, enunciate words like I am even right now communicating with you. Um, I would stutter. I would, even more so than stutter, I would I would replace words. Like instead of saying, me and Steve are going to go to the grocery store, it'd be like grocery, Steve, me, food. It was it was very hard to, to get it to line up. And um this CBD changed everything. And then I got into the RSO. And at first the RSO was, uh, the, the strain was bubble cush. Um, and it caused me uh, to sleep a lot. 
And at the time, I, I, I sleep and in the actual antibiotics, not all the other bullshit they had me on, but the antibiotics, which which helped save me, um, was able to do its job. And then the RSO in its own self was acting as an antibiotic. And as I kept getting better, and I'm telling other Lyme disease patients about this because my story was uh, quite known through news stuff and everything due to the Poisson virus, um, I saw other people that didn't have such extenuating um, tick infections as I did get massively better that I was, I was putting on the same protocol of RSO. And in the beginning, I was doing it wrong. I thought, you know, 20 milligrams of CBD a day, uh, a quarter grain of rice, uh, a quarter of a gram of RSO, that, that's plenty. Um, to this day, I believe that's wrong. I believe people need a lot more levels, higher levels of CBD and a lot higher levels of THC. Um, and I still have my issues. I mean, I'm sitting here, I've still got a port that is connected um, from my chest, actually popping out as I'm gaining weight um, from my chest into my heart. And I'll have permanent life issues. But the thing is, um, I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not stuttering. Um, um, I'm functioning for the most part. I can, I can drive again. I can do all this stuff. And it's all due to the RSO, uh, due to the CBD, due to the myco caps, due to, um, you know, even um, uh, mushrooms micro dosing that I put into my RSO at 0.1 grams a day um, because it wasn't just the medical shit that the tick did to me, the tick made me crazy. I mean, it swelled my brain up. I kept having seizures. I would, they, the technical term, they call it Lyme rage. I call it, I went, I went nuts. Um, I couldn't, um, I didn't know how to factor that down. I didn't know how to calm down. I could work 23 hours a day in my brain, like trying to process thoughts. Um, the RSO slowed that stuff down to make it manageable. All the, and then once, you know, Josh and uh, Kelly from Dragonfly introduced me to beneficial mushrooms and the Michael caps and everything. Um, she, um, they, they saw me last year in Michigan and I deteriorated since they had saw me previously. And she kind of took over at that point. Um, and um, I mean, she was just pumping me full of micro caps. We're pumping myself full of RSO and we got it all back in control. And the thing now is to not let, you know, I was talking to you before this podcast started about how the week went. Well, I had to deal with real doctors this week. And the, the key with that stress is to not let them interject their bullshit into my life to where it screws up everything that I'm trying to get going um, through uh through the mushrooms, through the vitamins, through the clean eating, through a, a different way of life. And then they just want to pump a bunch of different pharmaceuticals in me and, and just see what happens. And fighting them with that when I go into the hospital, being very demanding of, I, I, I will not take that. Uh, do not give me morphine. Do not give me seizure medications. Just uh, I'll ride it out. Um, they talk to you about the pain factor. And um, I mean, the last time I had an issue at the hospital, it was because I had a seizure. I woke up, they had given me morphine and a seizure, um, seizure medication. And that took me six, seven days to get that out of my system, you know, to, to get my, my CBD, my RSO back going in my CB1, CB2 receptors. A lot of these pharmaceuticals, especially Adderall, which I did not know even when the doctors put me on it for the uh, up-down seizures, the vertigo seizures, this blocks out those receptors to where it's not effective. Um, 
So I don't want a temporary fix just because I'm in a little bit of pain, set me back weeks and weeks based off, based off their stuff. So there's no medical marijuana in Kentucky. Um, I lived in Kentucky. That's, that's where my farm was. That's where my, my dog kennels and everything were. And the uh, politicians, um, the secretary of state, Allison Longer and Grimes, which I have massive respect for. She, um, she fought to, to, to make marijuana legal um, two years ago for, for medical patients. And they used my, my story very extensively and then it failed. And with my seven felonies for growing marijuana, and with Kentucky having a, um, as, uh, no policy on oils, concentrates, a half a gram of RSO is a felony in Kentucky. With my previous felonies, that, that would have hit me with a persistent felony offender on marijuana. Once it failed, I had to leave. And I still have my farm in Kentucky. I've been here now for two years in Michigan in uh, safety. Farms going up for sale uh, next week because I'm not going back. I mean, if they legalize marijuana in Kentucky tomorrow, I'm not going back. I've made this my home. This this state accepted me when uh, my own didn't want me, and um, that's been real difficult to uh, to deal with. Um, you know, I, I I'm a Kentucky boy. You you, you miss that stuff, um, and, it, and it's hard to adjust to the way of, of life as to what it is now, based off medical stuff and and tick stuff, as opposed to what it was, which was dog training and and no medical ailments. Um, so it, it, it's not been the easiest journey, but I've been surrounded by great dudes that have helped me transition back into this, get up into mission, get myself set up. And now it's about helping others, um, trying to find the medical benefits that can, that can help others battling Lyme disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever, any of the, um, you know, the bacteria is passed by ticks. We've made a lot of RSO for people, cancer, things of that nature. I mean, I just link up with the medical people. Um, that's, uh, once you go on that journey, that, that it, it, it just changes you. Um, so, I mean, I love marijuana, uh, all that good jazz, but if I don't have it, I don't function. It's not like if I don't have it, I just have a shitty day type of thing. No, I, I go into seizures. I just don't function. So, it went from just being a thing that I loved and, Hey, me and you're going to get together. We're going to smoke a joint to, um, it, it's my lifeline and delving into it deeper to get into strength specific things to find, um, exactly. I mean, every strain is going to treat you different and going through them all to find the ones that could help me. Well, through all that research, I have so many different ailments that, that one of them may not be dealing with the Lyme disease issues but it may be dealing with the seizures or it may be dealing with muscle spasticity or it may be dealing with the aggression the insomnia the fact i don't eat i went from 189 pounds um you know when i got bit by a tick I'm, i think i'm at 140 now uh most of my calories come at three o'clock in the morning because i, I take two grams of rso at uh 6 30 at night the, the last dose and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night starving. So that's a medical benefit. If I didn't have that at one point, they were going to put in a feeding pump. Um, so at this point, just, just my whole world is consumed by RSO, uh, marijuana strains, figuring out what's going to work for what, and even trying to accept the fact like this week was a bad week. Well, I found a couple things that, that helped me out. Shannon made a, a batch and it's, it's sad. Sometimes you got to, 
do the RSO very strain specific because we did a mixed batch this week of like 12 uh, of the stuff left over from, from last trim and run and all that stuff. And it gave me a crazy amount of energy and I wish I could repeat it, you know? Um, so that's why it's very important for us to cook everything down usually in just like a single batch. So we know how the strain does, because I would love to get that energy back that I got from, from the strain we cooked down. Um, but that's kind of the gist of my story. Um, started with marijuana. There was a lot of dogs in the middle and then a tick fucked it all up and then it brought it back to marijuana. So that's kind of where we're at now. But Yeah, that's a lot of people don't know that uh, it can be quite a journey uh, to finding the right cannabis strain as well, especially for, for seizures. Uh, I know we had previously had Wade uh, Laughter come on and talked about some of the different successful strains that uh, some of the pediatric patients had had. Um, so, what are really the the strains that you found that um, had really uh, worked well for you? You know, for for your symptoms. Um, Royal Kush. I mean, it started off with a, a podcast I saw uh, between Shangalos and uh, Mean Gene from Mendocino a couple two and a half years ago, I'd been in Michigan for about two weeks at the time. And at that point, I'm trying to restudy everything I can on, on growing, ju just, just growing. And uh, I hear Mean Gene talking to uh, Shango about powdery mildew resistant strains and, you know, powdery mildew being a, a, it's almost like a parasite. So I started Googling that a little bit, just from my fascination with parasites and all things in that nature reading about powdery mildew, how it punctures down past the epidural layer on a plant, sinks uh, kind of like a, a tail down in, into that and then host off the plant. And through that, it can be a vector for disease into the plant, break down the plant's uh, immunity. Um, that's essentially what these ticks did to me. Um, they put parasites in me, broke down my immunity, and it allowed the parasites to run rampant. And I start thinking if I can get a hold of these strains that are powdery mildew resistant that and i can run those that would in the beginning i thought it would just boost my immune system and i had nothing to go on off that except for hope and, and all the research i did through the nih and their website and terpenes and all that other stuff so i was able to get out to a uh, california and i still had a california id from being out there in san diego training uh training dogs so I was able to go into a, a, a nursery out there and pick up the Royal. And I was able to go to a dispensary and pick up a bunch of seeds. Um, and I got back, um, brought the Royal with me, actually I picked up several and got them into flower. It was around December, um, actually it was around November, I started running the RSO and there was an instant difference between that strain and all the other RSO I'd ran. Um, the initial initial thing was I started herxing. And for people that aren't familiar with herxing, um, for me to kill off bacteria inside me creates a lot of pain, it dying off. So if I take Royal Kush, um, that's gonna kill the, the parasites inside me. It creates a lot of pain in, in the herxing, in the muscles, joint, inflammation tissue. Then you have to get that dead bacteria out of you. Um, imagine a mouse, eating poison and dying in your cabinet, it's going to decay. It's going to let off ammonia. It's going to let off um, all these chemicals breaking down. 
and it's going to make that area toxic. It'll even stain the wood where the mouse was. It's the same way with all these little microscopic parasites and organisms inside of me. And you kill them off, they have to be flushed out. And I run, that's what the poor chip that's in my chest. We have to constantly run fluids, sitting ups and salts, just different things to, to push all that stuff out. Um, so when I found the Royal, the reason that I knew it worked was because um, I started Herxin. It wasn't like Bubba Kush or Gorilla Glue or different strains that I'd ran that um, just put me to sleep or took away inflammation or they took away pain. Um, this actually created a, a Herxing situation in me, sweating, vomiting, diarrhea, all that other. And I'm like, okay, this is acting as an antibiotic. So I stayed on that dose for four days and then I doubled that dose. I stayed on that dose for four days and then I doubled that dose. And then I stayed on that for four days and then I doubled that again. And then all of a sudden I wasn't walking with a cane. I wasn't stuttering. My doctors wanted to know what was going on. The blood work had changed. I got off everything. I quit taking all their bullshit. They did not like that. And the blood work kept getting better. So I had all this information. Um, and I've tried, I've cooked down, I think it's over 170 strings at this point, you know, individual wrote notes on them. I flew out to uh, the Emerald Cup with, with my nurse and uh, with neurologist reports and all the blood work. And I went to go find the people that, that, that were smarter than me to help me two and a half years ago. And, um, and that's kind of where the journey really started with uh, uh, Emerald Mountain. Um, you know, Mandelbrot had created uh, the, the Royal... Um, and when I met those guys, they, they, they just flooded me with seeds. And I started going through these lines. And it's consistent that the royal or plants with nearlidol, osamine are going to do better work for me in my particular situation. Nearlidol and osamine act as a antibiotic. Um, the terpenes, you can look on the uh, National Institute of Health. When I reference the NIH, is what I'm talking about. Um, all their papers, you can get on there and, and look at everything from cancer to terpene uh, knowledge, everything else. They've been studying this shit since the 70s. They've got all the terpene protocols on there, different stuff where osamine was killing parasitic and um, protozoas, coccidia, thing, giardia, things of that nature. Uh, they used it in malaria, different terpenes. And then I got to thinking about that. You know, Africans have been doing malaria for, I don't know, a long time way before modern medicine and a lot of that was cannabis paste mushrooms um herbs things of that nature that they were using to treat the malaria which did the same thing it created meningoencephalitis encephalitis in, in these people that dealt with that and so i delved into it more i'm currently um and there's a lot of research and stuff out about cannabis helping people with lyme disease and they talk about micro dosing cannabis and i mean micro dosing like like I do with mushrooms. I take four grams of RSO a day, a gram in the morning, as soon as I wake up. Um, and that is usually a strain, a heady strain, a sativa-based strain. Um, lately it's been MAC-1, um, even though it's not really sativa-based, it gives me an energy. It just kind of wakes me up. GMO does the same thing. Um, one of those strains in the morning or any, any, any type of sativas in the morning can just try to get me up, get me going. Um, RSO in the middle of the 
afternoon that I did not decarboxylate. So it just works on the inflammation because at that point I'm outside working and I'm trying to actually do stuff. Um, so I'm wanting to work on the inflammation. So I don't decarb the, the afternoons and then the nighttime I'm hitting up with, with rural Kush or heavier Indicas or um, stronger strains that kind of knock me down and, and put me to sleep. Um, but it's all strain specific, depending on what I need. Um, that, uh, that herb that they use a lot for malaria is sweet, uh, uh, sweet wormwood. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Arthemisia anua. Actually, my doctor, my infectious disease specialist in DC had me on artemisian with um, as a biocyst buster on the day off between antibiotics because you pulse antibiotics Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you try to kill the biofilm. I mean, these parasites are really, it's wild Star Trek alien type shit where they have a biofilm around the parasite. You have to kill the biofilm to even be able to get into the parasite to kill it. Um, and they're using half of this stuff, you know, in modern medicine, but they throw a scientific name on it and instead of calling it what it's always been. I mean, like, so it's a, it, it's been a journey to try to find these things that are working best for me. I mean, like in my kitchen right now, I'll walk in here, like where all my supplements are, right here, just for nighttime use and the different RSOs I I have that are broke down for for different things and all the different tinctures um, and different RSOs and oils, mushrooms, vitamins, all that stuff. And I'm lucky that tons of people in the cannabis community from Sage Moon Apothecary to, you know, um, Heritage CBD. Uh, I mean, all kinds of guys have really tried to help me out and send me different stuff to play with to see if it's going to work best for me. But all this stuff I'm getting into at some point. Yarrow Tincture Shannon just made this one. Lion's Mane. Um, so it goes way beyond just, uh, yo, girl, it goes way beyond um, just a, uh, it looks like they've all just just fell out in the middle of the floor here. Um, just RSO or CBD. I mean, mushrooms. Once I got into that aspect, it it really opened up even the RSO and CBD. Um, the clean eating. Um, I can't emphasize it much that 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 before I look, that that that's a big baby man, and that's more than forty pounds, Steve. I'm telling you right now. You end up with a 120 pound dog. Look at his dog, Shannon. Just five months old. Mm -hmm. Big face. Yeah. But I, I really think, like, when linking up with Josh and Kelly and um, Josh, uh, outside of even even the mushroom stuff. Josh is a light to me. Um, finding people like that, like, um, man, I can't tell you how raged out I was. Like, th this tick made me off. Uh, and then you factor on, I had to leave Kentucky, and Shannon had to stay in Kentucky at the, at the dog kennel. I was up here by myself. Um, I was angry and mad. And the regenerative community, um, 
I'm, I'm just going to call them the hippies, have helped me find my way back to being um, not so mad. And I, I, and I still have my days. I mean, it, it's a challenge. Um, but, you know, it's not just the RSO and the mushrooms. It's the whole changing the way of life from, from the way I eat food to, to recycling shit to, to growing everything with organics to making biochar, just that whole aspect of trying to reconnect to, to the earth and nature. Um, I believe all that has made a play in making me better. Uh, and I'm never going to be perfect or, or completely normal again. But, dude, I'm doing so much freaking better than, than what I was even six months ago when everybody was having to try to raise money for all the crazy surgeries I had I had to have to stay alive. Um, and we have this issue is I still have seizures every once in a while. And my problem is when I have them, I black out instantly. And I'm usually standing straight up when that happens and it's the free fall like a couple months ago it was all the stitches to the face and ripping the rotator cuff uh eight days ago it was falling and uh uh cracking my ankle um so we got to do surgery on the rotator cuff but that's not Lyme disease related I mean it is but it isn't I, I so most of that stuff is, is so much better and I'm trying to learn constantly from different guys on, on how to adapt that even more you know, what, what other medicine and herbs and tinctures and stuff I can, I can add to the system that, um, that will help me thrive a little bit more. So, um, <clears throat> what, uh, how's your garden coming along? I just saw you got some uh, monster plants going, uh, tell us more about your, your grow methods and, uh, and how your garden's going. Um, the garden is, um, it's beautiful look at in pictures you're like whoa look at those monsters and then you got a foliar fee one of them fuckers uh with a busted rotator cuff and and everything else and it's difficult in my personal opinion i would rather have five foot tall plants that were about four foot wide as far as quality outdoors as far as the best um unfortunately on plant counts and things like that you, you you've got to you've got to get it when you're out there um and so the big plants, I mean, we've got a, we've got one plant that's 17 foot, nine inches this year. Uh, most of them are between 12 and 14 and it's a lot tonight just to foliar feed, um, 24 plants. We went through 120 gallons of water, um, j just to foliar feed that many. Um, so it's, uh, I I'm old school gorilla grower from Kentucky. I never got to grow full sun we climbed trees strapped five gallon buckets together we we did it in the bush underneath cedars shit like that so to get a grow them to this level i mean it was hard to secure them you know as far as the the, the scrogging and the fence and all that stuff we had a crazy windstorm today but but it's fun um to be able to do that legally and get out and do it that way um i would just prefer to have them a little bit on the smaller easier to manage side um our grow methods are uh, a mixture between K and F and probiotic farming. Um, a lot of culture pits. I do mine a little different. Instead of coming up above the ground, um, I dug, I used to, gorilla growing, we used to dig holes, lay a bunch of rotten logs in there so that they would soak in water when it rained and then re-release the water when it was dry. 
and I kind of stuck with those methods. So now I dig these eight to 10 foot trenches, load them down with tons of carbon, factor that or level that out with tons of nitrogen and plant material. And then I just lasagna it all the way back up to ground level and tons of leaf mold um, we put in. And the, the ground up here in Michigan, so much different than Kentucky, Steve. You can get a fucking bobcat, put the bucket down and literally dig your entire field up in, in one swoop. You will never see a rock. Uh, when I, I my, my childhood was spent building fence for a bunch of old hillbilly fuckers in Kentucky and you're hitting a limestone rock every quarter inch swing. Man, you put six posts in and that's a day. Here by yourself sick, you can put in 30 posts a day. It, it's, so the ground is really, really soft. It's real sandy, really uh, loamy soil. So aerating that even better um, was my main focus up here, j just to not have it so compacted with wet sand. Um, but I like the, uh, the the climate up here in Michigan. I mean, October is usually a little rough. The winters are rough. I like that, though. I can't deal with the heat anymore after the tick stuff. Uh, but the summers today, I think we were at 79 degrees. Um Everything is, uh, you know, just in culture beds. So we don't even have to water that much in the culture beds. Um, it takes more to foliar feed them than it does to actually water them. Uh, but it's been a, a definite learning curve on on growing this big. And I didn't expect them to get that big. They just they just went stupid this year. That's uh, okay. So big plants so when when is uh what do you consider first frost up there um last year uh i went to halloween um i did my my final harvest halloween i was the last guy i really knew standing as far as the 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 people i knew um that were growing up here um you could see first frost before halloween um you you're definitely going to see it by the second week of november um the weather shifts though uh into September, you're going to start getting a lot more wetter environment up here. Uh, I'm not 30 minutes off one of the Great Lakes, so you don't know how, I mean, it doesn't matter what state you're in. Everybody's like, well, stick around for a day. The weather changes, but I have noticed in Michigan, they have a harder time mapping out like a seven-day forecast and actually sticking to anything of that seven-day forecast. And I don't know if that's weather systems coming off the uh, the Great Lakes or what, but that's been different to adjust to. Uh, I don't deal with um, the, the, the humidity here. So um, I haven't dealt with bud rot in Michigan at all in the two years I've been up mm -hmm. here, but I've dealt with powdery mildew up here that I've never dealt with in Kentucky. So that's been a, a, a little bit of a learning curve. But I'm hunting out strings that don't get powdery mildew in the first place but uh, i mean of course you've got to hunt them out to figure that out and and even regardless some of my strains i love catch powdery mildew i mean that's just the way it is i'm not getting rid of mass super skunk because it catches powdery mildew you know um but it is something that that you have to be aware of up here um it, it's a long thermometer you go from 89 to 40 at night and it gets wet at night and it dries back out during the day um but really it's 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 not been that big of an issue i'm just staying on top of it so 
I think the biggest issue of, of anything in Michigan so far is, I think it's anywhere though, is everybody's dealing with changes in weather. I mean, this year we had hardly no freaking rain all summer long. In the last week, we've got more rain than I think we had all summer. But I think that's every state. Everything's changing. Um, everything seems to be changing at a rapid development on that. Uh, oh, we got we in Oklahoma this week for sure. Man, Oklahoma, I don't know how you do it. Like, like that. Well, I guess I've definitely hard from, Yeah, but you're from, you know, you, you're from those type of tornado country storms, all that, that environment in the summer. We know how to deal with that shit. So, um, it's a oh, lot yeah. different. I think I'll take the, uh, earthquakes and wildfires over the uh, random tornadoes from the sky or yeah, the hurricanes yeah. you can see coming you know dude I, i'd really contemplated going out to california we were even talking uh, about it a couple I, I can't now though especially with some of the they're just they're making it it's it's they're adding even more regulation there. yeah that's it's it's just crazy and i thought I can get through the regulation part at first and, you know, but then you factor in the fires, man, and the climate change and everything. Now, um, I can battle one. I'm not battling both. Um, and, uh, Washington state, I don't know. I mean, Michigan may end up staying home, uh, long-term, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just linking up with people. It's, it's difficult for me being a, from Kentucky always and having a whole crew and, and the people I ran with um, and even in into dog training. And then up here, we're a little bit more isolated. We don't, we don't know as many people. And um, we got Dim Pure certified this year and most of the Dim Pure family, I mean, they're spread out all through Oregon, Washington state, California, where have you. And that's just the people I end up um, linking up with the most. So it's, it's, we, we definitely desire to have family right now. Um, no matter what that family is, um, after the journey we've been on, being part of that community, um, no matter who it is, it, 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 it's something that we have to have. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't deal with the crazy ass regulation in California. Um, I can't remember who it was the other day. I think it was Kevin Jodry or maybe it was Sunibus. Somebody was talking uh, about the re regulations they had to do just to use water, like their own fucking water. Oh, yeah. And I'm just, I was mind blown. Like, um, yeah, I can't do, uh, deal with all that shit. So uh, Oklahoma is great. If you're not incorporated, you know, the regular amount of regulation is pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you just follow basic protocols. Like you would, as if you're on a, uh, you know, West coast market, you, you just fly with passing colors. You don't have to really worry too much when they add the new regulations. Cause they're basically just becoming kind of slowly in line with everybody else. Right. So, it's pretty if you're used to that it's pretty easy so uh, i wanted to do a quick shout out um shout out to mammoth p i got some awesome hats i got some bottles of mammoth p to give away for the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference coming up october 3rd and 4th uh, big uh, thank you to um gross uh, and mammoth p for uh, sending a whole bunch of goodies to give away for everybody out there and uh during the conference uh, we also have recharge we have uh foop we have true aquaponics we have a, a whole bunch of other sponsors uh, we'll be highlighting each one of those in the next couple the next two or three weeks uh, so it'll be awesome and then we'll have a whole long list of different speakers 
uh, from around the world um, that we'll be uh, having on on this very channel October 3rd and 4th starting at 8 a.m. Pacific. So uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, it's totally free, uh, no charge. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have one hour talks from people from all over the world uh, on aquaponic cannabis specifically uh, and, uh, you know, aquaponic topics and regenerative. Uh, uh, so, and then, you know, if you aren't aware, California is going to require um, a system to be circulating for uh, if they're hydro or any kind of water usage. So, um, you know, good time to start considering switching to aquaponics uh, if you are in, uh, in California, because uh, it might be one of your only options here soon. <laughs> I'll tell you another reason why to switch to aquaponics and I don't do aquaponics, but Shannon's doing that thing that you do soon. And it's something we are very much wanting to learn about. Plus this farm we bought up here in Michigan has got a nice little pond on it. Um, but let's say that you don't believe in the coronavirus and all that other shit. All right. Let's, let's just put that out the window, but the way this world is going this year, I'm in actual jeopardy and serious conversations with my fiance about stocking up food and stuff for the winter and things like that. And you're one of the few guys that can fertilize your plants and then eat from the things that fertilize your plants at the exact same time. I mean, you're not going to starve with the system that you're running. Um, so it's definitely piqued my interest, man. It, it really has. Um, Dutch Blooms is always talking about you and, and the crazy stuff you do with this stuff. Um, and I was into aquariums and fish when I was little. And at the end of the time, when I'm just worried about how our winter is going to play out this year. I mean, people are going to fucking fight each other over toilet paper. I'm, I'm concerned with, with how it's going to go next year. So, oh yeah, no, I definitely uh, I've been slowly stocking up on my vegetable seeds and my medicinal <laughs> herb seeds for growing my own stuff. And uh, I'm happy in my new spot. I actually have room to set up a large greenhouse that I'll be able to grow through the winter here in Oklahoma. I'll grow my own vegetables. So I'm super stoked about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I I totally feel your your sentiment on that. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, if you as long as you have a way to have some kind of little. Uh, power to to get at least your circulatory pump going uh, uh in some fashion be it solar power or otherwise uh you're good to go and there's quite a few good little solar power kits you can get now if you want to retrofit your system um you know you can get on amazon and through different pond companies now that have solar power kits with with similar size gallon per hour pumps that you would use for hydro that are you know completely kitted out with the solar panel and the generator uh, you know, uh, you plug in a couple car batteries and you're good to go and you can buy them a whole turn, you know, completely turnkey now off of Amazon. And you know, it's really come a long way as, you know, from having to piece your own, you know, stuff together to just being able to buy you know, turnkey fountain kits that you can retrofit for your aquaponic system. So it's, it's really awesome, especially for people that are wanting to be more self-sustainable or, you know, hey, just people that are remote, you know, you might just be in a place where you're on propane power and you don't want to be burning propane for your food system. So, cool, you can just, you know, run this, you know, most of the time and have a little bit of a backup just in case, you know, and be, you know, one thing that's not running off your propane now. I know I've, I've lived remotely in a couple of different places where we had to use propane for our power and uh, you know, that can definitely be, be a problem. There is a guy, not a, hell, 10 minutes from here. They've got a big shop. I, I've wanted to stop by there. They've got those big, um, 
I don't have the vocabulary here for the word of this. Um, you know, those old Dutch spinning wheels in the water that, that like churns in a pond and, and creates water all wheel. that. Yeah. Well, damn, that's a real simple. Well, he makes those and sells those. I mean, he's got all kinds of them designed out in his field and he's got a bunch of them working and shows them, um, like in little ponds on on his property and some are connected to solar and and not but it, it's pretty neat and uh seeing it today and actually it kicked my brain back into those uh you know just those old little stories you would see uh like fairy tales back in the day with the, the big water wheel and and all the hans and gretel and all that other shit but and, and i actually thought about you and dutch blooms because that'd be a way to to do that uh, yeah. as far as ponds and all that circulating the pond. I have a little water generator for my, my backpack hiking kit that I can go into a stream, a small stream and, and throw it out there and it'll actually charge a cell phone or charge up a US, you know, two USB ports. I actually bought it for going when I was in Africa, but then I found out there's crocodiles everywhere. So never used it there, but uh, definitely still have it available for, <laughs> for use. Hey, that's uh, what happened with all that. I know you had to come back with the coronavirus stuff. Um, yeah, so we're working with the group over there. Um, we'll see what happens. We're still, you know, we have uh, still have a license over there, still working on stuff over there. But right now, it's really hard to move anything. And, you know, politically, a lot of things are a little more in flux than they were. And there's, there's checkpoints everywhere over there. And, and while we have all of our paperwork and everything, it takes an extra, you know, because we are moving stuff to the airport or something like that. What used to be a two-hour drive turns into like a, you know, nine-hour drive, and yeah. it just, you know, everything is kind of hard. Plus, the biggest problem and why we actually stopped growing and putting, we just harvested out what was there and stopped for the time being is, uh, we we're having a very difficult time getting anything for pest control for biologicals, uh, for beneficials. Normally, we'd be able to get stuff from South Africa. Uh, and just you know run it up there and pay pay somebody to transport it takes about eight hours to come up from the border and, and we'd be good to go but um we, we that basically became impossible on any kind of feasible timeline uh to, for us to get them up there so if i can't do pest control i, I can't really grow on on a large scale without you know even with a lot of the the um knf stuff that we were doing and everything else yeah. i still need to have some you know there's some stuff yeah. you just need to have when you're in that kind of environment at that scale so uh, it, it really just became hard to just get the, the nutrients and, and kind of stuff where we were. So for the time being, uh, everything's on hold, but we're actually looking. Uh, I know we have a meeting tomorrow. I think it is on, on getting going, uh, at least trying to figure out a timeline on, on realistically what would be going on there. And I think uh, at least for the time being, I'll be a little bit more remote. Um, but um, I got quite a bit going here in, uh, in Oklahoma, but uh, I'll definitely be back over there at some point. Realistically, probably next year on the second half of the year before things I see, you know, actually calming down. Plus, you know, the U.S. is probably going to be restricted internationally for a little bit longer than the rest of the other countries. So I think that'll also be a factor in my ability to get over there. What was the biggest pest you all dealt with out there? Grasshoppers. I mean, grasshoppers chewing the um, stems off of the, the, the really? stem park off of the plant. So, and the best thing we had found for that was doing the, um, the IMO, IP, uh, IPM IMO, which is doing insect frass or collecting the insects you want to kill uh, along with insect frass as 30% of your um, uh, IMO uh, along with 70% rice in an IMO one collection and then continuing that out to a, a IMO two or three 
and then converting that to a liquid IMO, depending on how much time you want to spend on it. Um, and then spraying out there uh, and making our own, you know, insect spray that way. And we were able to make our own spray on site, you know, without any kind of real issue. And, you know, that was, that was our best thing. Um, I know that, you know, there's some people in chat mentioning NOLA bait. NOLA bait's great if you're in the States, but uh, <laughs> a little harder to get over there in Zimbabwe. Uh, they still use things like paraquat and uh, the, the, the concept of bene there, there is no beneficial insect seller in the country, um, which is a problem right now. Um, uh, we have to bring in again everything through South Africa. So there's some of the different challenges we have over there. And we're very limited on minerals. If we don't run down to South Africa and get them that way, we're, we're pretty limited on, you know, buying whatever, uh, uh, what is... Um, what is Monsanto's new name? Um, oh, I can't remember. It's Syngenta. Yeah. Syngenta. You see, any everything is from Syngenta over there, from seed to, to nutrients. It's kind of disgusting. So. But hey, you know, they, they get what they How can get. How close were you to Zimb uh, South Africa from Zimbabwe? So I, I was in South Africa. I did a little bit of traveling down while I was down there. And, East Swatini, which is what was Swaziland, and then a little bit in Lesotho uh, on a quick uh, long weekend trip down there to, to go see some other grows and pick up some genetics. So it was quite a quite a fun stay. And then I was out there from December through April and then came back uh, you know, very beginning of April uh, to the States after uh, the virus. It basically had to make a decision if I was going to try and ride it out. Oh, tomorrow. I remember when you was traveling, man, like I, like I was worried for you, like, like wrapped up in the airports. It was kind of like, if I don't go now, I don't get to go out. So, oh yeah. Uh, the embassy told me there was probably three to five more flights out of the country that were going to actually make it to the States in any kind of reasonable time. And I was like, cool, I'm going to get on one of those. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to get stuck to fuck here for the next six months by myself. So, yeah. Uh, well, not only that, like things have gotten, not gone particularly great over there with the virus. So, are they still battling that, or is it? Oh yes, quite a bit, quite a bit in Harare. So, I uh, yesterday, I had to quit paying attention to it with my own medical issues and all that stuff. It actually got into my head and made things unhealthy for a while, and I just quit all the news and all that other stuff. Um, I even told you the other day, like I got off Facebook. It, it just, it, it just got got bad i'm not a um a uh a su supporter of the police so at, at this point in uh time with all the political stuff it's just been uh i've just backed away from everything so the, the other thing that was blew my mind in zimbabwe was seeing a uh you know two to three hundred ton stack of ammonium nitrate in the middle of like a shopping center yeah you know like yeah. a hardware store you know what i mean you're just like this is completely insane. <laughs> yeah, this is not how we do things. So yeah, this, is, this is not this is not how you store this stuff. Just quite quite crazy, quite crazy. Uh, but you know, in other ways, there's a lot of simple stuff too. You know, seeing people do a lot of just basic farming out in the middle of nowhere, just doing compost and manure, uh, you know, cow manure, and not a whole lot else to to get you know real decent just food crops for themselves and seeing a lot of you know, old school farming for that you know yeah i didn't think about it like that like i mean if you don't have access to stuff you are going to um 
you're going to come up with a lot of solutions. Uh, My papa always told me when I was little, he was like, work around lazy people. Like, you know, they will come up with a solution real quick to get shit done. They're definitely not lazy. They're just uh, haven't been shown how to do everything. That's all. No, I mean, mean, the the, the compost, they have all. Like, oh, yeah, I know. No, no, I I feel you. I didn't mean to. Resources. I've seen some guy last year up here. uh, He had a $20 fan with a um, a $10 HEPA filler. HEPA filter duct tape to it. I'm like, that's genius. He just saved himself $200 on a, on a filter. And it, it's sometimes seeing that or being able to see people do something a certain way. And you're like, wow, all this was right in front of me. And I've, I've been doing it the hard way the entire time. So. Oh yeah. Um, that and just compost. You can find pretty much every couple of miles, you can find a compost seller on the corner. And just be on the side of the thing, you know, pull up, fill up your truck, pay the guy, and away you go. You know, it's yeah. and they're all over the city. It's it's much different. You got people that go around and harvest off all of the different, you know, fruits and ferment them and all this different stuff. So what are you uh, most excited about you growing in the greenhouse this year? So uh right now I don't have a have a greenhouse of my own. I have some indoor stuff I'm managing now. Um, but uh, I don't have my own personal one. We're actually gonna gonna build a small little hoop house out here just for vegetables. Um, yeah. What are you most excited about running this year, or that you got well, going? We're gonna I'm gonna pheno hunt all. I'm gonna pop all of my Zim seeds, my Zimbabwe seeds, and just pheno hunt, and then crossbreed all the better. You know, the better 25% of it, uh, and um, or you know to. 30% of it and then uh, you know give away a bunch of those seeds and then keep keep some for myself too oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. Um, trying to I've get some a... I, uh, some of the stuff I found there up in Anyanga is super super high in alpha pinene like just smells like pine salt it smells you know so, or pine trees you know what I mean it's freaking crazy so that's not a terpene you get as much as you did like in the 90s in that weed profile we would catch in Kentucky all the time was that pine saw and you don't see it pop up as much um kind of got dominated by mercing there for a long time but I mean uh I like those terps that is a that is something that I, I I'm weird on my, my terp profiles I'll, I'll dig something for a while and then I want to set it down and go to something else and right now I'm pineapple tie i've got growing and i'm just not feeling it at all and and i loved it all last year and just right now my turp profile switches and now i'm just feeling gas that's all i want to smoke is gas and then that'll switch in a couple months and it'll just be blueberry or just be floral tones and um i don't know if other people switch like that as much as i do but i it's just that variety um but I, I was really digging my, my pineapple tie. And right now, if, if I had to go to the jar, I'm like, I'll find something else. And it's, but yet in a month, I won't be able to get enough of it again. So it's, it's funny how that goes. Uh, your body craves what it needs, right? Um, and I also wonder if that might not be based off the RSO, like, like taking, um, a particular strain of RSO and then getting it all from that way and then just wanting to go a different direction. Um, in the morning when I wake up, I'm very, uh, 
marijuana hungover from the RSO. Um, the 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 Royals or the Indicas that I take at night, or the the more I, I wouldn't go into the Indica sativa talk as much, but just the more the more that just knock me down in the head and put me to sleep. But really, I found what helps me the most is to jump right back into it into something that energizes me and and pushes me back awake um, instead of shying away from it first thing in the morning jumping straight back into to taking another gram of RSO to help push that out and, and to keep the medical benefits there. Um, but it is a it is a big thing for people when they get into RSO that I tell any medical patient like you're gonna feel very drugged up for a while. Um, even experienced smokers, if they have not taken uh, been ingesting RSO, it's going to take you uh, to a different level of intoxicated. Um, I don't really like that feeling at all times. I, I'm wanting to function. So at this point, taking the level of RSO that I am, I mean, I, you build up a little bit of, you know, a tolerance and, and immunity to it. So switching strains every week, I try to switch it up. Um, I'll go from the Royal to something else. And then about two weeks later, I'll put the rule back into, uh, into play. And then the first few days I take the rule, it'll hurt me. Like I was talking about earlier, it'll act like an antibiotic. Then I readjust, but switching up these strains, I feel like it does help medically, not for me to get so used to that. Um, so compliant with it or or that it just uh, uh builds up a little bit of immunity into me to where it doesn't work as well um so i just try to switch shit up as constant as i can yeah i know uh i find the same thing happens especially with my back and, and lower back pain definitely helps uh to change them up you know at least you know sometimes for me even three times a week if i'm getting a little spazzy so but uh, now these days, you know what it was? I went and bought a $20 cheap ass pair of shoes and they have been the comfiest thing for me. So I think I'm just gonna keep buying these garbage ass shoes like once every three months. I, uh, I bought a, a sandals this year for the first time and I, I used to make fun of my brother and stuff for wearing sandals and I bought them where I hurt my ankle. And man, I love these fucking sandals now. I wear them everywhere, everywhere. and support on the feet man like, like it don't matter if it's twenty dollars or 150 dollars. if it works for you it works for you that's all you gotta find so and i'm really digging my leather sandals this year I, i'm telling you i'm going totally hippie except for the rap music and and everything else after uh after the past year of, of medical stuff so <sighs> So um, do you grow anything else aside from cannabis in your garden? Are you companion planting with any vegetables? What are you growing this year? Yeah, um, that's funny. I, I did these. Uh, I planted out a ton of purple turnips this year as a cover crop and not, not really as a food plot, but as a cover crop. And I probably put out about, I don't know, 5,000 of them. I mean, I, I put them everywhere and I'd never grown them before. And the ones in the bed... I mean, I've gotten turnips that are the size of, of softballs and, and and everything this year, and it's been the funnest experience to not just grow a, a you know clover or 
buckwheat or burdock or whatever as a, as a cover crop, but actually getting stuff back from your cover crop. So um, the daikon radishes uh, have been really neat. And the fact, I mean, pulling these out and you've got a 11, 12 inch hole straight into the ground for aeration. Um, so I, I've really been digging the cover crops that I'm, I'm, I'm getting something back from them. Not just, you know, clover pulling nitrogen from there and, and fixing the soil that way, but actually giving me food. And uh, the purple turnips in the air fryer with hot sauce are, are amazing also. So um, I, I've really enjoyed that. Um, Shannon's got a whole garden planted everywhere else i mean cucumbers brussels sprouts she's got growing uh beans tomatoes um just all of our food plots down but as far as actual cover crop stuff um really tickled with the radishes and the turnips that that grew this year um and then the greens coming off of them my goats they have went no i mean literally they go nuts steve i'll take a video tomorrow my one goat can see me from 100 yards away picking them and he'll stand on the gate and scream the entire time see me and he don't even want the turnips he just wants the greens off of them. so I, i've really enjoyed that we've harvested uh like seven five gallon buckets full of turnips put down in the cellar um we're gonna plant the actual turnip bulbs next year so they go to seed uh, this is our first year setting up this farm in Michigan. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, the cover crops are actually doing some things in, in, in the bed I'm, I'm really enjoying this year. Um, it's a, I'm going to try a lot of different stuff out next year uh, in the actual beds because my beds are so big and wide. I mean, they're 10 foot wide, my beds are, um, the Hewlett culture beds. So. Oh, and peas. I'm growing peas like crazy. Um, started off just as a cover crop where, um, you know, we're building up the farm and I brought in a bobcat. I had knocked down a bunch of trees and build all the beds and all that stuff. And then to, to recover the ground. Um, and I didn't know the particular area that I'm in up here um, as much like back at home. I can go to Southern States. I can go to different places by a cover crop. Up here, I couldn't find those places. And I found a deer hunting place that had just all the purple turnips and daikon radishes um, and uh, tons of peas. And so we put out a bunch of that, and I'm really tickled with it. Um, but up here on our property, we've uh, we've got a lot of a lot of natural, like blackberries, pears, apple trees. Um, so I'm looking forward to – Shan's actually in the kitchen right now um, – doing something fermented plant juice with apples and everything else so it's just kind of acquainting ourselves with this farm uh when i'd always been on the other farm i mean i'm from the same community for 39 years been on that farm for five and, and the previous farm right beside it for for 20 so um trying to learn what works with this environment the best i guess is uh it has hasn't really been tricky it's just been a process so um brought up tobacco seeds from kentucky we've had since in, in the family since 74 meant to get them out this year and what what able to get them out quick enough uh just put in our our winter crop of like a week ago shannon yeah a week ago i, I guess we planted all all that out but um really the turnips man 
when you talk about all this stuff, I've had more fun with these damn turnips all year. And my German Shepherds go through toys like crazy. These turnips are perfectly round. And I, I don't know if you saw that video I posted of my German Shepherd just out there chasing freaking turnips. Well, this asshole eats $9 comms like they are nothing. So if he chews up turnips all day long, I'm just tickled to hell. And now I can just go out there and roll turnips for him all day. And he just thinks it's the greatest thing ever. So I'm telling everybody to dig down on the turnips. They did not um, deplete my beds. They did not take nutrients I felt from my plants at all. Um, it just overall was good. It, it That little taproot from them went down like 12 to 18 inches off the bottom of those turnips. And I felt like that was great aeration as I'm pulling them up now and still watering the beds. Now I went back through and spread biochar and um, some cow manure the other day. And then I've got all those holes just opened up where all that can fall right into. So liking more of my cover crop that actually gives me big taproots down there and break up that ground and keep it aerated. Have you gotten into any of the competition ones so you can go on to, was it world-class veggies or some of the different competition ones and get some of the monster ones? That's, I have a bad habit of having one too many drinks and getting onto some of the monster vegetable sites and ordering huge vegetable seeds. I have a, anyone that's actually hung out and visited me knows I have an ungodly huge vegetable collection. Uh, uh, vegetable seeds so uh, uh you know some vices aren't necessarily a bad thing right but uh have you gotten into any of the, the funkier varieties or the giant varieties or yeah, you know you know how, how guilty can you feel if you have one too many drinks and order some seeds from baker creek or world-class seeds or something exactly. right? it's like not that bad right like <laughs> the first thing that you can get drunk and spend money on exactly right? i think we can all agree I want to do a giant pumpkin just, <laughs> just to do it. I mean, just based off all the leaf material it gives you just for composting. But I, uh, they had these little mini pumpkins, same dog I'm talking about with the turnips. Last year, I, I own two properties up here in Michigan. And last year I bought him these little miniature pumpkins at Kroger. They were like, it was like five for $5. I'm like, well, hell, he'll like that. And I roll it in the backyard. He'd go grab it and bring it back. Well, I guess he tore that thing all to hell. I have pumpkins, little micro pumpkins growing everywhere in my backyard where either he shit them out or he just tore up pumpkins all over the backyard. So next year I want to do a, a I want I want to go with one of those those giant pumpkins just to try it out up here in this this environment. But um you know, I I haven't grown a lot of vegetables before. The, a lot of this stuff is new to me. Um I did the vegetables I had to do as a kid growing up on farms and stuff like that. And tobacco wasn't a vegetable, but we did a ton of that. Um, so a lot of the vegetable growing, I mean, in the last few years, that that's all new. So I'm as, as fascinated and as happy with growing the vegetables as I am the marijuana. Um, pulling turnips and, and the radishes and cutting cucumbers, stuff like that, it's, it, it's very... Um, know what the word self-rewarding like like you feel like okay if shit goes to shit then then i i, I can eat and it, it's scary out here right now with i mean whether you believe in all the stuff don't believe in the stuff i'm more believing in human behavior and people are not acting rational out there and, and to be able to feed yourself at this point 
Um, and I did not know they made giant turnips. So when I have about two more drinks tonight, I will be texting you to find out where to order giant turnip seeds. Cause that, that sounds amazing. But I've also, uh, yeah, been trying to grow a lot of herbs. So one of the places is rareseeds.com Baker Creek. But let me, uh, while we're talking, I'll see if I can pull up that other one. It's like world-class seeds. Hold on, give me a minute. So, so yeah, so what are some of the other things aside from the radishes? Uh, you know, is there anything else? I found that I've learned quite a bit about different pest management and then certainly about how to things, uh, you know, um, make, making things more purple, more red. Uh, definitely picked that up on working with lettuce varieties and, and applied the cannabis and lots of other things. So what are some of the things maybe you, you've noticed in your observations and your, your vegetables that you think are, are, or you have applied to your cannabis? I've got a question actually for you here on this one, Steve. Um, like I grew some chard. I grew chard everywhere around the beds this year and kale, spinach, different things. But this one particular kind of chard, um, actually the spinach, I'm sorry. One particular kind of spinach, and I saved the package, was covered in aphids. Covered in aphids. I had pictures of it. I I mean, they were on top of each other. But yet, not, the plant that it was all around did not have aphids on it. All the other cover crop and kale and everything didn't have aphids on it. So that fascinated me on growing that again for whatever environment I'm in up there, like putting that off as a, a bumper area over in the corner and then being able to hit that hard with IPM management, but draw them there. You know, aphids are the biggest pest I've dealt with in uh, Michigan. Um, but I thought that was fascinating to see how certain varieties drew them in and then other varieties literally leaning up against them. And they didn't want nothing to do with that, you know. Um, so I found that extremely fascinating this year on, on, on doing the planting. Um, also reading a little bit more in on, on, you know, just buffer plants. I, I do think that I've got a woods in one section where, where I have my plants and putting in like, like that particular type. 20, 30 foot away from the plants over there to, to where I can really focus on, on drawing then, man, I also think the white Dutch clover draws in the aphids more so than, than like the red clover. Uh, putting that over there and then drawing them in there and being able to treat that area. Or that that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed, that, that pests definitely attack different plants and don't even touch others. Um, I dealt with the hemp russet mite this year. It was the first time I'd ever dealt with it. Um, I, stupidly um missed it for about a month i went scoping to that level i was on a 30 or 32 uh time scope because i'm looking for the normals um aphids stuff like that i thought i had a nitrogen deficiency and then an iron deficiency in the beginning um then i thought it might have been hitch stress and then realized it was it was russets and you know i i never scoped them on any other plant um even, even at higher magnification and, and they were easy to deal with. It was more about how quick they put damage into a plant, unlike other pests, you know, and I'm more kind of compare that into like the stuff I caught from the tick, like that shit was brutal. I mean, the russets destroyed some of my genetics that I lost permanently. Um, and it was quick. Uh, once I was able to treat it though, I mean, I mean, and I just, just basic IPM guidelines, uh, 
but I felt like an idiot for missing that, you know, for the month that I missed it. Uh, but it was just not something I'd ever dealt with before. So trying to study now a little bit more on pests that I haven't even dealt with before I even deal with it. So once I see it, it's a little bit more of a, Oh, okay. This isn't a, this isn't a freak freak out meltdown issue and, and you're not losing a whole genetics there. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So, so that I've had a rash I've noticed this, this year in Oklahoma and other places a mosaic virus. Um, so we actually have four different samples going in to um, uh, Kevin McKernan and for qPCR testing um, to help contribute to hopefully uh, uh, creating uh, some actual mosaic virus tests that people can get and actually use uh, so we can stop having these silly debates about mosaic versus variegation um, so so that's uh, uh, hopefully going to help contribute um, you know uh, data samples that'll help give us real world data on a bunch of, of farms. So uh, I'm super stoked on that. I'm super stoked to have access to these from a couple of different farms I'm consulting with and uh, we're sending it in and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And um, we have some people I've hit me up on Instagram that are contributing as well. And then uh, two farms that uh, I know personally here in Oklahoma are contributing is uh, so um, it's super neat. I think uh, there might be something heat related uh, to the expression. Um, just because it seems like this year being hotter, it seems to be more prevalent in Oklahoma. Um, so, you know, again, purely speculative, but it seems that way uh, based on, you know, the amount of expression we're seeing this year versus last year. Also seeing a lot less septoria uh, this year uh, in, in Oklahoma. It is around, but I have not seen it to that like outbreak level that I was seeing it last year. So, you know, different climate, different year, you know what I mean? So it's, it's always, uh, always different how each year you have a different pest that seems to be the uh, the thing that's more prominent than last year. Absolutely. Um, we dealt with uh, Septoria horrible in Kentucky uh, a couple of years ago on the hemp field. Um, uh, is your weather real hot this year? Y'all having a brutal summer? What was that? I'm sorry. You, you all having a brutal summer? Are you having a real hot summer? Yeah. So we had a real hot summer here. Um, have you had luck with Septoria? We, had, we were pretty quickly able to figure out a protocol to deal with it. If you haven't, uh, I'm happy to go through that. I haven't, I haven't dealt with it. Um, I dealt with it on the hemp field initially and honestly cease just one application of cease knocked that out in the few areas that I had it. Um, I guess it was last year um, on the Kentucky hemp uh, farm, but we haven't dealt with it up here. I mean, I stay on, on that game that was part of why my dumb ass missed the, the russet stuff is i was more worried about foliar feeding to colonize microbial inoculants on like on the leaf and all that stuff and not really ipming more worried about powdery mildew and funguses and things of that nature you know being up here in michigan so that was my focus of ipm this year and i let that russet just slide right by because i took in clones from somebody like an idiot so um so that's that's the other factor even going back into what we said earlier about growing big monsters like this year and you know you do i, I believe I, i'm not using any harsh chemicals i mean everything is knf based ipm based type stuff so you know i i, I focus one time on mold one time on on pest it, I, I got to get that a little better. I mean, I screwed up on the on the rust. I've been hard on myself on on missing that one. 
dude, I lost genetics. Like that. I, I mean, I lost 65% of my library in the last 14 days. I mean, it was, uh, and then, I mean, it cleaned up quick once I, I realized what it was and I've got two different properties and I was able to keep it contained one place and, and it did not hit outdoors. Thank God. Um, what were you able to, to control it? Cause I know a lot of people struggle with that. So, so. I reached out to, uh, um, you know, the day that I saw him, I was, I was talking with Dutch blooms and I kept battling back and forth with him on the phone. I'm like, this is fucking russets. And, um, my, my, uh, scope had broke like a couple months before. So I'm using a cheap little, uh, uh, loop and I was able to zoom it in and I reached out to Sunbus and she told me to call her. And that was when I was heading into Kentucky for the medical stuff. Um, and I reached out to uh, uh, Kevin Jodry and he told me to use sulfur. So I used uh, liquid sulfur in the beds. I got off of Arbco Organics and it, it worked very well. I had other people tell me to use plant therapy. Um, I've used plant therapy before. I just couldn't afford it. I mean, at at plant therapy on the 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 it being indoor, like I had to go hit outdoor. I had to, everything at that point. I had, I had to both properties I, i'd uh, uh preventably do er everything else man at, at a gallon of planet therapy i mean what is that it's like 120 ounces i mean that's a gallon right there you know that's 200 dollars just for one application and yes it works extremely extremely well um it, it's it's worked for me before on spider mites and aphids extremely well but to that scale i, I could not do it use that so um don dish washing soap uh water uh sulfur is the because i hadn't went into flower yet on a couple plants uh i got from a towel foundation that already triggered a flower i did use the plant therapy on didn't use sulfur um and everything looks good i'm scoping like crazy um but i'm anal on this shit like once i figured it out i'm out there constantly like checking things water spraying with water even between to try to knock them off if there's something there um but so far i mean all the new growth and everything is good and i think that me misdiagnosing it with a nitrogen issue maybe um an iron issue and then i thought i had a fucking virus i even thought it was the, the tobacco mosaic virus there for me i'm googling all that stuff and the first noticed it indoors that my yield went down stupid on, on my, my June harvest. And then my resin production wasn't there. I still didn't get the typical pictures of that gnarlyed out, like, like leaf is clawing up type of thing. I, I didn't get that at all in the beginning. And I don't know if that's, that was my basic IPM game, just uh, keeping it not back. I was doing a lot of uh, the plants and veg, uh, natural mystic from dragonfly, I was just trying to colonize the lease and everything, uh, uh, fighting mold mildew issues. So once I dealt with it, I mean, um, we hit it every day for, for three days, skip two days and then hit it again for three days. Um, I was following earlier today, but everything new growth is good, but the plants that took it, some plants, like I had a, a, a Mac from seed that, that capillary gave me the seeds. It did not touch this plant. I had a um, 
mass super skunk beside it and, and, and it destroyed it. I mean, absolutely destroyed it. Uh, my local skunk from Duke Diamond, it destroyed them. Um, I mean, just absolutely destroyed them. So I feel like anything else, it was a little bit more strain specific as to what it attacked. Um, my first time dealing with it, um, I've got a lot more research to do, though, I, I can assure you. It's a scary damn bug. Uh, you get a bunch of aphids on something, even like me talking about that spinach and, and kale and different stuff. Well, it's not going to just completely kill it out in just days like I saw these russets do. So it was a little different for me. If you got any uh, advice yeah. on battling it. On, on russets? I know uh, dragonflies had a lot of good luck with running the cooking the greenhouses above 120. Um, now, I personally tried the whole above 105 for powdery mildew this year in aquaponics, and I don't know if it was the VPD or what, but it didn't work. I didn't say that it didn't. It definitely helped, did it, it and it definitely reduced it, but it didn't cure it the way that I've heard other people claim. So, um, yeah. But, but on that was for powdery mildew at 105 Fahrenheit. But for um, uh, russets, I've heard uh, you know uh, Josh and Kelly both uh, preach quite quite successfully about you know 120 degrees for one hour uh, after you know uh, following a, a, a you know or uh, right before that doing a heavy watering to make sure the plants have plenty of water. That actually wouldn't be hard for me to do. I mean, in an indoor room, you know, just cut the damn air off and turn the heater on. Um, that would not be hard to, to do at all. So I have been, I got decimated and destroyed to such a level and been more focused on the outdoor. I may actually give that a, a shot tomorrow and call you up and talk to you about that. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I lost a lot, man. Things I can't replace. And um, it's a. Uh, oh, it's too good. And. and for those of you that don't know, if you are in a situation the plants are in veg and you find russets, um, you can always take clones and dip them in suffix in order to have nice clean clones to, to salvage the genetics as long as they're in veg. Um, if they're in flower, that can that's a whole other story. It gets much more complicated. Um, but uh, uh, you know, if you are in uh, in veg still, you know, you, you can salvage those uh, quite successfully about ninety percent of the time. I just got Suffolk in the mail today. I've never used the product before. Uh, came recommended to me from Dutch Blooms. Um, I don't know what the different rates are for a clone. I, I read there was 1.25 ounces per gallon on application, um, like for spray, but I didn't know if that was the same for, for dipping on the clone. Oh, yeah. So generally, I believe it was, uh, memory serves me right, it's five drops per five gallon bucket or, you know, four gallons in a five-gallon bucket, but I don't remember the exact amount. I always got to double-check, but memory serves me right. It's about five five or six drops per five-gallon bucket. Uh, and then, again, double-colandered uh, with your, your clones and then dip them uh, in order to ensure that they're clean and then uh, take them out, and then you're going to have nice, clean clones, you know, in order to restart or at least try and restart and salvage what you got. It's weird to, like, uh, go in between properties right now um um everything off spray everything down change clothes go um and i've never had to be this anal with anything i mean 
Um, but it's it's uh, I've kept one of the places completely completely safe. So, um, it and also this is my fault. Like this is the one of the few times. Like if you're talking about like fighting powdery mildew, which I uh, I'm constantly doing um, different strains and things of that nature. Um, that's not something that you yourself really create. The russets, I know I created this shit by, by not being on my game and taking something in. And I was listening to a, a podcast the other day with a bug lady, Suzanne, talking about this stuff. And she's like, you got russets, it's your fault. You know, pat yourself on the back and be like, uh, congratulations, because you screwed up. And that's what I felt like all week after coming off the week of, of being in Kentucky. So it's been a wild one. Um, but saving a... But it's good to talk about these things because it's the only way that you learn through this. I mean, everybody wants to live in this Instagram world where we post pretty pictures and there's never any problems. Well, there are problems. I mean, we're constantly battling something. Um, and I, you made a very uh, good comment earlier. The problem that I deal with this year, I'm not dealing with this next year. I'm dealing with something new next year that, that, that I didn't even realize I was going to deal with next year. I'll be so busy worrying about all this stuff that I've already dealt with. I'll let, try not to let that shit slide in. Last year, it was the aphid for me. Um, I'd never de dealt with the aphid to this level. I dealt with aphids before, but not this particular aphid to where, um, I mean, it, it you know, they're, they're pretty much born pregnant. They, they don't need a mate to breed. Um, I mean, they just reproduce like crazy. And last year up here in Michigan, I realized that the aphids home is the Virginia creeper that, that plant that just invasive species that covers everything almost looks like poison ivy out there. But if you get back in there and you look, you will find aphids all over those things. So this year, um, more so than I, I focused on them. Like I focused on spraying IPM in my surrounding grass and woods and, and all the Virginia creeper and stuff like that. And I really didn't deal with the aphid that much. Um, I took care of the property um, and just stayed on top of that. And the biggest thing I dealt with that, the best thing that worked for me on aphids was Dawn dish soap in water. It suffocated the hell out of them. Um, it's the same thing that that's the best thing that that ever worked for fleas when I when I had German shepherds and dogs um, doing all that. So it was Dawn dish soap. Um, so, you know, you can fill up a backpack sprayer and, and spray all the grass and surround areas with, with soap right around, you know, coming out of the woods. You find a big patch of that Virginia creeper and poison ivy. The aphids seem to really be on the backside of all that. So that, that's what I've been focusing on on more this year and kind of learn those principles why I let the russet might just completely come in onto the plants while I'm busy out there fucking around in the woods. The rust is like, hell yeah, you know, we're going to take over over here. But uh, other than that, um, it, it's, it's, it's been different learning Michigan's environment to Kentucky. Kentucky, we dealt with spider mite, like nonstop spider mites and botrytis. You know, bud rot was my two biggest issues I was dealing with in Kentucky. Um, you could deal with, uh, I mean, outdoor, you're going to deal with grasshoppers. You're going to deal with rabbits. That Rabbits were my biggest issue in Kentucky. Um, but being in Michigan environment, switching all over into powdery mildew and prevention, 
And sometimes I don't, I mean, I don't want to be in the powdery mildew prevention. I'm trying to find the plants that thrive through that, that that goes into my medical benefits. So I, if it gets it, then, then it gets cold. Um, Shango Los was up here last year in November and I was real bad at medical stuff at the time. And I'm like, Hey man, my room's about to shut down. I got to go spray it all down with water. And that was week seven of flower. I'm coating everything in the room with, with water. And yeah, I lost 30% of the room to, to powdery mildew, but that helped me find the cultivars that gave me my life back. And, um, being able to create certain things so that you can fix later. I mean, like I said, this rusted mite's been a bitch, man. And finding certain strings that just shined, even though that was all around it, or even the PM, I, I'm more like to focus on those strings and then breeding into those strings and continuing that stuff. Um, I, I didn't breed into dogs that had bad hips, elbows, spines, or eyesight. Didn't matter how good the damn dog was. Didn't matter if the dog was out on a competition field just wreaking havoc and in protection work tracking, doing great. You got bad hips, you 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 got bad eyes, you got a bad spine. I can't put you into the breeding program. And I'm about to get that same pickiness with me on, on the plants that I select for for breeding into the future. Doesn't matter how much I like a particular plant, if it can't handle itself, it doesn't need to keep going. Uh, I totally agree. Any other uh, uh, pests that you've noticed that have been particularly problem? You mentioned uh, aphids and some of the others. Anything else that you mentioned that's been particularly, uh, I guess, noteworthy in Michigan? Um, noteworthy. You know, yeah, last year I dealt with a shit out of caterpillars and moss, but I did not this year. And I dealt with it on two fronts because I ran the Michigan farm, uh, Michigan house. Uh, we just got this farm this year, but I had a house up here. And we had the Kentucky hemp farm last year. And we dealt with caterpillars and um, moss like crazy last year. And I just didn't this year. I bought one of those dino lights um, or one of those um, mosquito light type things. I didn't put the pesticide in it, just, just the light. I'd seen a Mean Gene from Mendocino post about this last year. And one of them is supposed to cover an acre. I put three of them out there during veg. Um, and, and, and I ran them and every morning the tray would be full of those things. And I, and I think I might've saw one caterpillar on plants this year, one. When I might've seen one on each bud last year. So it was it was quite a shift this year on, on the caterpillar damage. Um, other than that, um, no, I haven't been hit up to, I mean, the, the, the russets were enough and or what, what nightmares are created out of. Um, the aphids are a fucker in their own self. I have not dealt with a root aphid, but I got a buddy down in Southwest Michigan that has been battling the root aphid this year. So they, can, um, they can be tricky and, and it takes a bit to get rid of them completely. But uh, I found, a, you know, doing a regimen of, of beneficial biocontrols um, uh, along with uh, mass releases of rope beetles seems to be the go-to thing that, in my in my opinion, actually works. I've tried every anti-aphid. I've tried all the different parasites. Most of them seem to ignore root aphids for some other reason. 
but uh, rove beetles and you know your bio controls uh, on rotation along with H miles seems to be the, uh, the thing that actually works. Doesn't work fast. It'll take you a few weeks, but it does work. Good morning. Uh, I, bought, yeah, I got they're, they're fun. They're fun to see um, actually do their job, really. And uh, um, I, can't, I can't even remember who sent me this video, if, if they're watching this and, and they won't speak up later. Uh, somebody sent me a video on Instagram later of a praying mantis running through its its plant to, to grab a grasshopper and eat its head. And I, I swear I must watch this thing 10 times, Steve. I'm like wow that is freaking awesome and gnarly as hell and and i need some more praying mantises but you know it's a um, the ipm game is um it, it's funny i have all these uh dragonflies in my backyard and i'm out there trying to spray uh stuff and i'm like please don't let it hurt any of the dragonflies and Luckily, everything that I've sprayed, like the Dawn dish soap, don't seem to mess with the the the, the dragonflies. The um, so I, it's trying to be. Uh, I, also, my backyard is, and I'm not exaggerating here. I probably got five thousand frogs all spread throughout my five acres, and they all seem to thrive, even though I'm spraying. Um, you know, I tried the plant therapy and then I tried the sulfur and then I've tried a lot of uh, liquid soap and soap and mineral oil and, and it, it's to keep those guys going also. Um, so it's finding that fine line of what works and what doesn't. And it's uh, and you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier being in Oklahoma and being in Zimbabwe. What may work in Oklahoma is not going to work in Zimbabwe. I mean, it's a different adaptive region, and the, the plants and bugs seem to just change a lot. So, you know what's funny is the African, southern African strains seem to be the best ones in Oklahoma. Uh, I think it, it, for the second year in a row, the, all the Durban crosses are noticeably larger. Like, I'm talking 10 to 15% larger than every other plant in the field that's the same age. Um, you know, and, and it really makes a huge difference and, and i don't know i don't know why they just happen to be adapted to it a little bit better here they, they handle the, the slight humidity and the the high the high heat real well here and uh really you all got a lot of winds too don't you i mean yeah and decent amount of winds so, so they tend to be a little bit thicker stocked I, I have a strain that i like a lot called blue hash so this nice giant super thick stalks it's made we, we, we bred it out in gilcrest colorado out in the plains so it's it's used to the storms, it's used to the wind, it's you know what I mean. It it nice nice sturdy trunks to it. So the Durban of the Durban and the African strengths, I'd like to delve more into for my medical research needs. Um, ben um, Emerald Mountain did a Ros Malawi a couple years ago. It was Malawi to Royal Kush, and I got it. I only had. Um, ran it out i've actually got it back in flower this time it helped me out a lot and uh duke diamond had a durban tie high flower um man that was actually the durban tie high flyer and i tell people the story constantly don't ever pay attention to percentages it tested at 13.5 thc that was the strongest weed i've smoked in the last two years um so the, the durban has some medical values to it and getting into some african strains that that were from their I know that they were used for malaria and those type of issues. Um, delving into that a little bit, um, 
you know, for my medical benefits, I, I, I think it would be beneficial. Um, and the Durban strain, you, you talking about it, it doing bigger out there in Oklahoma, um, man, you've got stress factors out there like that heat, that humidity and that wind. Those are the plants I'm looking for. If you can thrive under the stress, because that, that's the shit I deal with immunity wise and everything else. That's what I want to cook down in the RSO intake. Um, that's what I want to smoke. Um, I feel like there's just way more medical benefits from those type of plants than, you know, just just, just a typical plant that uh, that struggles through all the powdery mildew and, and pest issues. Um, I'm just looking for that different, and that unique in, in that aspect. And even though the terpenes do matter, you can see um, like osamine nirlodol are meant to fight fight powdery mildew so if you've got a cultivar there that is pushing high in osamine or transnerolidol then most likely it's going to be powdery mildew resistant but that's not a misnomer that doesn't mean that, that it's going to be that way you can find something that's powdery mildew resistant that doesn't have any osamine and nerolidol in it um and all that's fascinating to me as far as the medical strains go but those african strains really do intrigue me because they deal with more parasitic infections out there than any other country does Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I know it's getting uh, a little bit late over there on the East Coast. I don't want to take up your whole night. Uh, uh, are, you, uh, are you doing good? Or do you want to get going soon? Or, uh... oh, I'm good, man. I just got a lot of RSO in me. I get I get rambling and stuff at this point. So. Oh, it's okay. I just don't want to make sure I'm not uh, not pushing you too hard. That's all. But... Oh, no, you're all good. So uh, what are some of the other observations you've noticed with re regenerative farming? Uh, you know, what are some of the different insights or maybe some interesting things that you've you've stumbled upon or learned along the way with your own grow? I'm going to give you an answer that nobody else is ever going to give you here. Regenerative farming, and I love it. I'm all about it. It is my life and it is my passion. But it is way harder than farming with fucking synthetics i don't care what anybody tells you like they're all like oh organics is so much easier bullshit you know and, and the stuff always goes back to oh you don't have to ph your water fucking let me ph water if that <laughs> that's the easy thing man i'm out there cooking down biochar every fucking day in the heat you know making labs smell like ass everything else you know everything that is but it's so much more rewarding and it has transferred your life to man i recycle now like i reach out to josh and kelly sometimes i'm like man before i got bit by this tick i ate at mcdonald's i drank like a fish i, I still do um uh I, I did not live a good life i did not care about recycling a bottle i didn't care about spraying roundup on my dog kennel to kill weeds that were growing through the, the the concrete all that this has changed everything um so my observations are that regenerative farming is a lot harder because it's supposed to be yeah i mean you got to put in that work um i mean if you really want to to put in from every aspect of doing your food crops to your um your ipm management to to you know revitalizing your own soil to putting carbon down to put nitrogen down into the soil it's going to take work also 
I'm not one of those guys, and me and you have sit here and talked about it, Steve, that's going to be like, oh, if you do all this this way, we never get bugs doing it from this regenerative aspect of agriculture. We get bugs. We get bugs. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, my plants are not so healthy that they never get attacked by anything. That's just bullshit. Um, it's that you put in an act of love every day. You put in the work, and it's not just the plants. You want the entire ground thrive uh, bitch you um, just haven't reached on my stay level regenerative i'm not even paying attention to that dude if he's done joining this podcast like i'm back to talking to see you here like yeah back to your level of joining regenerative this is the guy i call every day steve crying like these fucking rustics are gonna kill me over the last two weeks and um it, it, it is difficult um but it's all part of the process and it's part of learning things that make you not feel bad about tearing up your environment at the end of the day. You know, I was talking about not killing the dragonflies and the amphibians and all the frogs that are running around on my property. I know I'm not going to do that with Dawn dish soap. I know I'm not going to do that with, um, you know, rosemary oil or mineral oil. Um, but it's dialing that into each individual pest and, um, Right now, my main observations are different pests attack different things, and you have to be prepared for it. Um, and what you think you're prepared for, up earlier, Steve, like what we dealt with this year, we won't deal with next year. We'll get a, a year off for that one because we're ready for it, and it'll be something new. And it's just trying to be uh, on top of your game before it kicks your ass all the way into the dirt. Just busting your balls, man. Oh, I love you with all my heart. So, <laughs> oh, what are you doing this evening? Um, watering in some compost tea. Sometimes I've got a. I told you I was doing that experiment earlier on compost tea, so I'm brewing it these two two different ways up up here, and I've I've got this. Uh, so I'm aerating this one and then I'm vortex brewing this one um and it's the exact same mixture and then I've got clones of the same thing so I'm just doing little experiments because I mean what else the hell do you have to do um then to keep pushing all this stuff to see which way works better but I really like these vortex brewers um so much more than aerating uh for the compost but mainly that's for the cleanup but What's new with you, Josh? How's your farm going? Uh, it's going pretty good, man. I just cleaned out the greenhouse today. Um, got the last of the, the last crop cleaned out of here, and so um, I'm getting reset to do another another clone crop, which is exciting. And I haven't done clones for a minute. Um, and I'm also really excited. Um, I was going to post about it. I probably will tomorrow. I, uh, since I've been a legal cannabis farmer, there's a lot of practices that I have um, just put to the wayside because I haven't had time, money, um, et cetera. Um, mostly time, mostly time. Um, and uh, so I've been doing a lot of that stuff. And the, the newest addition is I got a grain mill, um, which is cool because I like to brew beer too. And I bought 200 pounds of, um, two row malt um, barley that I will, you know, grind and apply to 
the beds every week um, throughout the the growing process and I'm adding some rock dust and stuff. I just, I honestly haven't added anything other than, you know, fish poop and um, compost tea to this, to the greenhouse for a couple of years. And so time and I'm excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. And actually one thing I was, a, a dorky thing I was thinking about and I haven't this was just a thought I had today. I was talking to my buddy who we used to brew beer with. And he was, you know, I sent him the picture of the mill and, and he was like, oh, cool, dude. Because it, it can do like 30 pounds at a time, which is a lot of grain, you know. And um, he's like, well, what are you, what's your goal? You know, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, well, we're really trying to feed like predominantly fungi, but, you know, microorganisms on, on, on any level. And um, he's like, well, okay that makes sense the fungi because if you know if you it when we brew it out we're, we're extracting and changing the starch of the of the seed into a sugar and then that's where the bacteria grows and my, my brain went Bing. oh dude i could like fuck with this throughout the growth cycle and then maybe i might i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a little test on this in a corner of the garden where i'm gonna actually brew out a wart or a beer before you ferment it um it's the same thing with the way that, with the way they make whiskey they make a wort and it's just boiling the grain and, and changing it from a, a starch to a sugar um and i'm going to try that applying that you know cool down um into the root zone like probably week four five six in there something like that to see if i can boost uh thc cooping around Hey, so I got a question. You said you bought a, what was it, a hammer mill? No, it's a, it's a, it's a grinder. Like, uh, I, I mean, yeah. it's got like three, a three row. You know, it's not a well, hammer. Shannon brought up like earlier. We were, we were outside collecting all the seed from um, our buckwheat everywhere, and she said, you know, they make flour out of this. That is that the machine you would use to do something like that? You could use this. Uh, I think you want something that does a little finer than this. I'm, I'm pretty I can, sure I can, I can assure it down. you, I'm never making fucking flour out of buckwheat. I was just curious, Ben. I'm not getting her machine to make flour out of buckwheat because she would want one. But you can make a, you can make an awesome gluten-free flour out of yellow dock and curly dock too, by the way. Really? It um, man, I, I, I outside of the the turnips and uh um. The radishes, I, I had more fun with that cover crop than anything because you can just be brutal to it and it just keeps coming back. So, how's it going, Marty? Are you uh, preoccupied over there? Yeah, sorry, it's came in late. You guys were already vibing, so been hanging out. I have kind of a little side project I've been working on for a while. Um, <clears throat> I got a 3D printer not that long ago. I've been looking around with, and so I've been uh, printing a bunch of toys for a big cause. So I was just fucking around with that. Well, I was listening to you guys bullshit about growing, which is always fun. Josh, good to see you. Hey, what's going We're on, man? See your see your picture. That's cool. Yeah, you. I saw your ninja stars are 
um, that you were making. Oh yeah. That you were making. Yeah. We got like uh, all kinds of stuff, batarangs and like right now I'm printing a bunch of like Wonder Woman rings and green lanterns. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's making ninja stars? Because I need some fucking ninja stars. I'm <laughs> telling you. They're just, uh, I don't have any up here. I think my, my kid has been fucking with all of them, but... So you I, just caught me off a two-day binge of Karate Kid on Netflix, so I'm all about some ninja stars right now. So we've been so. printing stuff like this. They have all the different versions of the Batarangs from yeah. all the Batman series and stuff. And uh, this is actually, this is only half of one. You print two of them and then glue them together, and it makes it kind of 3D. But like I said, my kids hold all of them that are done so far. But uh, here's a for any of you nerds out there and beyond battering. So when Have those kind about printers, could you print yourself like a, like let's say a little piece broke off your cloner, like that little aeration piece. Could you make yourself something like that or? Yeah, that's what I'm working on, man. I got to get better at 3D printing before I can do like the super small stuff, especially in like ABS plastic or the harder plastics that, I want to be able to use but ideally i'm going to be able to i want to do a couple things i want to custom print some uh, uh some fittings some special fittings i want for aquaponics and then also um uh, probably some dual root zone pots that will be um, printed with the holes in the places that i want instead of having to drill holes in them all the time so we'll we'll see how it goes um, so yeah, right now though, I need to get better at doing the, um, at just figuring out how to do 3D printing because I'm kind of a noob, but instead of printing, you can print stuff like this. It's, uh, they're like little calibration tools to let, kind of let you see where you're, where you're at with your configuration. So I did a couple of those and then I just started printing toys. <laughs> uh, I just oh, give away to kids. I got a whole box full of toys over here that you know, some of them are kind of fucked up or whatever, um, but I just donate them all. So. All right. So, let me ask this. Uh, I want to ask Steve to ask the answer too, but you answer first. Uh, no limitations on your skill set. What What would you be your dream, three D printed uh, fitting or fittings for AP? <laughs> um, my dream one. I mean, basically, I want to be able to print them all. I guess ideally, I don't want to. I want to. Is there anything? I guess is there anything like creative or like something out there that you're like, oh man, if I could just make this, this fucking thing. Yeah, I want to make like a one a one piece use I think. Right. A one one piece adjustable height use I think. Yeah, I know. I, I think I think some of the parts for remote siphons or use siphons um, or, you know, trying to simplify some of the bell siphons or the, the Pythagorean cup, maybe doing like a straight one piece kind of bell siphon uh, that you could do with, with support struts, you know, built into it uh, that don't get in the way of water flow might be kind of neat. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd have to put more thought to it than that. So I, I, my, my thought is, is I want to be able to make a fitting that will fit onto the end of your drain line that will allow you to remotely set 
the water height in your beds. I don't know what all that is because I don't do aquaponics. But, uh, <laughs> you can make a, a neat clone shipper. Check that out. That's oh, made yeah. from a 3D printer. Sure. Tony from Boneyard made that, and that, that is kick-ass. But um, yep. what you all are talking about from the aquaponic fittings, that, that that's pretty neat right there. But Allegedly. Um, well, yeah, I mean, outside of, like, specifically aquaponic stuff, there. I mean, first of all, there's nothing stopping you from doing half a print, <laughs> stuffing things inside of it, and then doing the rest of the print either. Um, yeah. So, seal it up inside nice and tight. So you do have options for that uh, for more things than just clones, but it does work great for that for light fixtures, fittings, shelves. Um, I'm going to print the, the parts to do a modification to my scrog net. So like all those fittings that are just like the whole pieces together. Um, you can just print those shelf brackets and there's so many just like useful things that you can print it for around um, just to solve problems, latches, gates, uh, hinges. I mean, there's so many things that you can just download for free and, and hit print. I mean, not exactly just hit print. You got to put it through what's called a slicer and kind of understand what you're doing with the software. But, you know, I taught myself how to do it in like a week. So, um, it's not, it's not terribly hard to do, but it's definitely, um, you gotta you gotta learn there's math involved. Uh, so that that can definitely be <clears throat> a deterrent for some people, especially uh, people like myself. But it's not bad, it's not terrible um, by any means. And it's uh, relatively affordable. Like the plastic is super cheap. Like I I think I printed, I don't even know, it's like a this is a whole box full right here. All these toys right here. You guys can see that or not. All the ones that are down being painted right now, there's probably just as many down there that are being painted. We're going to leave some to be painted for the kids at the event. Um, but all that was like less than 20 bucks in plastic. And I, I still have probably the quarter of a roll left printing stuff right now. So it's super cheap um, to print things, especially like toys for my kids or like my brother is really into D&D. So I print them like little figures like this for his D&D games. Man, I, like, I imagine having something like that when you were young and, you know, when I was a kid, I could learn any PlayStation video game, remote control, whatever, you know, now I've got to call somebody and try to figure that <laughs> stuff out. But learning that stuff when you're young, I mean, you could build all kinds of stuff with that application. So, yeah, I, I try to build stuff that my kids can do things with or help them with projects and stuff to get them involved too. And uh, like when my oldest uh, spawn is into um, different types of cosplay. So they're always, uh, you know, they, like I don't have any of their stuff up here right now, but um, like I made her a, a She-Ra sword and a dagger from Voltron and all this stuff that I would pay like, you know, they want like 50 to 60 bucks for this little tiny piece of plastic dagger off the internet. Um, but I can just download and print it for like 50 cents worth of plastic and maybe six hours worth of power. So it costs like a dollar, <laughs> maybe. Oh, yeah. 
So it's great for to be able to do stuff like that too. Um, but ideally, I want to be able, you can use it for like micro sprayers, um, all kinds of stuff. But all of that requires you have to know how to get like the details just right, or else it'll be you know, prone to clogging or have other problems. On toys, it doesn't matter if it doesn't come out just right. And I make tweak the settings a little bit, learn something, do it again. I can repeat. So uh, Marty and I have all. You cut out, Steve. Now you're muted. I said, Marty and I have also been working hard on the uh, commercial aquaponic cannabis class. Uh, we've got a, a really crazy in-depth version, tons of new SketchUps uh, pictures uh, and diagrams, tons of new videos, tons of new pictures, tons of new uh, everything. So uh, yeah, we've been working quite hard on that um, and uh, uh, they will be ready for uh, this fall. Um, so I think you guys are going to be super stoked on it. Yeah, it, it's fun to be more. That's another cool thing that I was able to print are some cool camera mounts um, so that I can get some cool angles and stuff and not have to worry about dropping my phone in the fish tank or anything like that. So um, that was another cool thing that you can print that you don't really think about. Like, oh, you normally go drop 20 or 30 bucks at the store. But um, so that's going to be fun. I've also found uh, a mount for the microscope so that we can get it looked up the, the regular like big microscope and stuff, uh, by mount printing a, a phone mount for the microscope itself so i haven't done that yet but i've got the schematic up to do that and hopefully we'll be able to um do some live scoping be fun um of both uh stuff that's outside here and some beneficials that we we always do in the class which is always fun so shout out to uh, ladybug in uh, Phoenix, Oregon. They're always looking this up with bugs. Nathan over there is a great guy. We need beneficials in Southern Oregon. You know, we'd love to support the local guys. Of course, he's ordering from a lot of the same places that you can online, but you can buy smaller quantities um, and not get gouged on shipping. And generally, he can keep stuff on hand a little faster. And if you've ever dealt with shipping beneficials, you'll know that they only ship on certain days. Um, so like sometimes only go out on Tuesday. So if you don't order until Monday, you, it's like eight days before your, your order even ships. So usually you can, um, you know, slide into one of his orders that he already has in place. So if you've got local people doing orders, try to support them if you're, um, if you can. And uh, if you're in a pinch, you need to right away, check with them. What was that? May I say something? No, that was my dog barking in the background. Please. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. So yeah, try to support your uh, your local bug guys if you have them. Um, and shout out to those guys because they're always looking this up with bugs for the class. I think it's probably been what, seven, six or seven times now. I think that they've, they've looked this up with like uh, uh, lace wings, and spider mites, age miles, nematodes, all the different stuff. <clears throat> you guys, oh, road beetles, you guys were talking about um, root aphids earlier, definitely gone to war with them before. So definitely the Vasana bavaria um, or Botanigard mixed with um, 
uh, beneficial nematodes, preferably in a, in a drench or a soak where you can take the whole pot, just put it in a bucket, let it soak. Um, I think is where you're going to have the best luck and then apply your row beetles and your H miles to the pot. So that was what I had most successful. And remember, Isla Fumasoria and Bavaria Bastonia. Uh, neither one of them kill mites or beetles, so you can use H miles and rope beetles with those. And aureus, they kill very, they will kill some of your aureus, but not very many. Like, let, let, I think the documented one was five to 13%, uh, which is negligible. Right. You can mix them right in with the nematodes. <clears throat> so I always mix my, my botanigar right in with, the, with my nematodes and apply it at the same time. And uh, usually I'll do, like I was saying, I'll do the full-on um, uh, dunk as opposed to just a drench on top, especially um, if you've got a decent-sized plant. Uh, I even pulled out some of my plants that were in dual root zone pots. So I, I, I tore up some root structure, but I, I feel like otherwise it would be difficult to get them out um, of that dual root zone area inside the pot. You can't, you can't really drench well enough to get all the way through the, the top of the root zone. So I think it's important to, to figure out a way to, to treat that part if you're in a dual root zone aquaponic system. So whether you're, I mean, I think you pretty much just have to pull it out and, and dunk it and soak it. And that's, and that's really an area where like those, those biological controls shine because um, they really do prefer that hyper, hyper humid environment. And um, you know that that water line really is where you end up having those. The For sure, and so I feel like the that was really the sort of the magic for getting rid of them out of out of the system that I had in here. Um, and I think that probably the, the H miles and road beetles, I would say that for the road beetles were more effective, even though they were more expensive. I feel like they got better coverage and, and did a better job. But overall, definitely use both of them. Um, so yeah, I think that would, that, that would be my, my root aphid experience or advice or two cents, whatever. But I uh, um, haven't had them here in a, in a while now, knock on wood, obviously, but um, I think those are the probably would be my go-to treatment for those. And then russets, like he was talking about, definitely heating them up. Um, I've I have had multiple people um, around here say that they've been able to do that with their indoor, and definitely made a difference. I'm a bit. I don't know if it doesn't completely cure it, or if they just continued some bad practices and <laughs> kept them around after they killed them off or didn't do it right. Not everybody's had 100% success, but everybody has reported that it's made a big difference. And it's been, I think, 120 degrees for an hour is what the, the minimum recommended is to cool it back off. And I know, is it, I think Josh, did you have some experience with that too, or my getting my wires crossed with something else? Yeah, no, I've done it a bunch in my greenhouse. Uh, in fact, I'm watering now and putting on this compost so I can do that tomorrow. It's part of my cleaning process between runs. Um, I say that like I do this all the time, like I flip this greenhouse over, you know, <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't. Uh, I'm aiming, oh, I've always been aiming to, but 
but I am flipping it over right now and I'm excited. So I'm going to heat, heat treat it tomorrow. Um, and maybe the next day, um, before I do put my cleanse in. Is that what you do is 120 for an hour? Two hours. Two hours. Um, yeah. And I think the hard part is, is, uh, getting, getting it to 120 where the bugs are, you know, that that's, that's, you know, that's the critical point. It's the same thing with the spray, you know? So if you have it like it's in my greenhouse when I, you know, and I've had a huge thick garden, um, I may be 120 degrees, 140 degrees at the top hurting the plants, but down low, it may not be, you know? So I think that's why pe people can see some, we all see some definite results, you know, it knocks them the fuck back. But uh, whether we get all the eggs, you know, you have to do it a couple, you have to do the same thing, do it every three days, you know, um, three times. So a nine day process, right? And, um, and still being, you know, sure to get coverage and get that heat coverage everywhere in the garden is the challenging part, you know, and then, and then uh, I think also in a greenhouse, it's easier in an indoor, but, you know, being able to turn that up real quick, right? Because the slower it happens, the, the faster or the more opportunity the bugs have to hide in, in places to get shelter from the heat. But if you can like get that heat going quick, you know, then they get, they get worked. Right. So they don't get a chance to take shelter in those cooler areas. Yeah. So like in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in sorry in an or indoor grow room, a small indoor grow room, it's it's probably pretty easy. I don't. I'm you know. I don't have a whole lot of that right anymore, but you know, I'm like in a four light or whatever, two light, one light, you could probably do that really easy, you know? Right. For sure. We're in a space like yours that has, you you know, your space, I just think it has really good airflow underneath everything. You know, yeah. you probably could, that's probably a good tool for you. Yeah. I, I think I could probably slap the heater in there and, turn the lights on and close up the, the fan. Because when the um, when the fans aren't on, they have, you know, they have the vents close up. So it's relatively sealed if you turn the fans off. Um, just just with the, you know, 4,000 watts or whatever it is in there. Um, right now, it, it'll heat up pretty good on its own. So if you slap another heater in there, I think I could probably bring the temperature up pretty quick. So that, that would be definitely my go-to if I had a rusted breakout, which again, knock on wood, I don't. But um, I, I kind of like your idea though, of just kind of making it part of your normal cleaning routine, especially between runs or before you get started, just cooking it off. Yeah, and I'd also be concerned, depending on the size of AP setup, uh, with, with heating the, the water up um, in root zone too much, just depending on how you have it set up. Yours is probably fine, but you know, you were doing some sort of weird setup that that didn't have a whole lot of mass to keep keep the root zone cool. That's really important. My first plan when I got russets, um, I'm lagging a little the, bit. The very first thing I did when I got russets, uh, I went to the bathroom. I closed and locked the door. <laughs> turned on the faucet and the radio so Shannon couldn't hear me lay in the floor and cry like a little fucking girl because I screwed up on my IPM and did not have that stuff on top. And that was my first step to treating the russets. Second step, I got up and got out of the bathroom, then walked back in, lay down, cried some more. 
and then went upstairs and dealt with it. And after I realized it, it was not a nitrogen or iron deficiency. Um, it was rough, man. I mean, I'd miscalculated it there for a, for a bit and I thought I was dealing with a, a nitrogen and iron deficiency. So I almost didn't want to foliar feed IPM stuff to, to, to not cause extra stress on the stuff. Um, man, I lost a lot of genetics um, and it happened so swift and quick, unlike any other bug I've dealt with in 24 years of growing um, or even virus for that matter. Um, but luckily, I mean, you know, it, it's, I mean, once you realize what it is and you get in there and you start hitting it, I mean, it clears up quick, real quick. Um, and, you know, separating the science from the bro science or, and, you know, realizing it does, it's not going to burrow through tissues and all that different stuff and to dip and, and to treat and clean. Um, but yeah, it, uh, man, I, I can't even tell you, Marty, like, like I was sad, like sad is not the beginning to where I was on that stuff. So uh, it's a, uh, but yet then again, if we don't deal with this shit, I mean, I, I've got all this in the book of knowledge for the next time I even go into this factor of problem. Um, you have to deal with this stuff to, to get through it. And people don't talk about it enough. Um, I go back to the perfect Instagram world where everybody just posts pretty pictures and don't ever keep it real or talk about real problems. Um, it, it's part of what we deal with. Um, to being able to jump on here, even, even come conversing with three guys right here and being like, Hey, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Like people need that information. Um, so I applaud you there, uh, Steve for putting out this, this podcast, something I, I enjoy watching. Um, and Dutch blooms, um, Josh knows, uh, this week, he, I, t I talked to Dutch blooms more than I talked to any human being on the planet, literally every day. I, there are days I talk to Dutch blooms more than I do with my actual fiance. Um, and, um, he walked me through this whole part of, of, of the russets, um, more so sometimes just keep me calm, you know, um, because you watch genetics die off that you love and you've had for. I got one plant I, I, I kept alive since 2000. I mean, that's, that's 20 years. It's gone. Um, I hear you, man. Like we had, you know, we've had outbreaks of different stuff on genetics. I, I really had to like just finally develop it. And I get a lot of them for friends. You can ask Steve when he was here for our class last time, somebody just stopped by with a bunch of plants that were infested with root aphids, spider mites and, um, you know, so I really started like developing different methods for being able to take healthy clones off of sick plants. Um, and so one thing that you can do is you can essentially defoliate like 90%, I don't even care if it's a five foot tall plant. If you can pick like say four or five branches and defoliate like all but the last, I mean, basically like a clone left on the end of the of the branch. Like that's what you're gonna plan on cutting. And then I, I'll take and I'll bring uh, like a relatively long uh, cylinder dipping it just like you would dip a clone when you're when you when you take it, but I leave it on the plant, just bend the branch over and dip it down while it's still on the plant, and then just treat the hell out of the stock where they move up and down 
um, because it should you want it to be all bare, like just no plant all the way up, like just a stick with a, a clone on the end. Um, <clears throat> and then I'll, I'll dip it while it's still on the plant and grow it out and try to identify which ones are, are gonna be clean um, and watch it while it's still on there. Then I'll take the, the clone after a couple of days and dip it again put it in the clone or dip it in coming out, scope it, do all that stuff. But if you've got genetics that you really want to save, um, that's that's one way that you can do it that I've had success um, on plants that I thought there's no way that you would be able to get the, the bugs off of them in any sort of healthy way. So it happened enough times to where I just kind of have, uh, you know, I have this method that I go through. So, I mean, it's like, like just think lollipopping, but to the extreme, like all the way to the top of the plant, just strip it all the way down. And you know, you're going to die anyway. You're just really trying to clean up everything as much as you can and then take your clones and you might take six or seven clones and hope two of them come through. But at least you can save them instead of watching. I, uh, I did the same thing, Marty. I'm glad you brought that up. And I don't know if I have ever really talked much about taking that much material off but it's important to talk about you know when i got russets i i broke everything down to a four light grow room so i could deal with it and i i did uh sup oil x treatment every three days dunking but I, you know i chopped it down just like you said just nubbings on this on these sticks and then every three days i i dunk each plant for a minute in uh sup oil x you know and then i'd move it to a new grow room I had because I have like a bunch of a bunch of shipping containers and shit. So and then I'd move it to a clean grow room and then and then bleach down and spray down the other one. And I did that like and then I and after I did that whole process, I did the same thing again with water for another nine days and then went back and then did it did it back with the sup oil again. And uh <laughs> I won, but it was wild ride, you know. And you gotta be really careful not to, you know lose your lose your genetics in that you know because it's just you're beating them up just even physically lifting them up and dunking them you know that's what i actually said to josh earlier today i said i don't know if the uh russets hit me harder or the spraying hit me harder after um i realized that's what it was i mean because you because you got to go aggressive but uh yeah it's it it was brutal. It, it, it's over with. I mean, I'm, I'm still staying on top of it, but I mean, it, it did its, it came through, it did its course. And Marty, uh, uh, for me to be successful in a lot of ways, I did exactly what you were talking about. Uh, the plants that I had to save indoors at the one place, I stripped all the material off except for a very little bit. And I just kept spraying it. Um, I didn't dunk them cause I couldn't, um, pick up the whole pot to do that that situation but i, I just kept spraying it um so it's uh, in the branch over you know so i would hold the cup up kind of at an angle and then dip just bend it over and dip it in while it's still attached to the plant and i i had i had the best luck doing that and even even with spraying religiously multiple times a day i just found dunking to be way more effective um even still attached to the plant so that's what I would recommend doing. I don't, I really don't even, if I'm trying to save a plant, like I'm not just trying to treat an area or I definitely do sprays there. But if I'm trying to save some genetics, I'm, I'm dunking everything that I'm about to cut and I'm dunking it when I cut it. 
and I'll even soak them um, underwater when I when I take the clones. I'll leave them underwater for you know even a couple minutes and then throw them in the cloner. So I, I try to. You, you really need that. For, you really need the same per, the protocol for bringing stuff in, you know, and mm -hmm. having the space to quarantine, and it's really hard, you know, to have that. That's my fault on that. I just wanted the clone back. I got excited. I know about quarantine measures. Um, I, I've already talked to you about this, Joe. I lost Triangle Kush last year. Um, I got it back. I was so excited about it. I just moved it right into the bedroom and that's where all the problems happen. And um, it's, uh, of course it was the first one to die. So I even lost it again. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's just part of it. Um, you live, you learn. And next time I, I mean, Shannon's actually done insisted I built a quarantine room. So I never go through this again. Cause it's, I mean, it's emotional when, when you, you, I mean, I, one plant, like I said, been with me for 20 years, I'm, that's that's the longest relationship i have um it's uh it, it it makes it more difficult um but guys it is a uh, midnight here on the east coast i've got about a lot of rso in me and a couple drinks so i'm gonna uh hop off here man i'd love to do this again steve anytime and marty it was great meeting you and talking with you um dutch yeah, blooms you can go fuck yourself. Um, but the rest of you guys are awesome. Me, so, you know, <laughs> but no, I love Dutch Blooms. He knows it. Um, but uh, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. I, uh, I I love chopping it up, and I like to do this more. I, uh, it's, it's part of a – you feel like you get to be involved with people this way. So y'all have a wonderful night, man. If y'all need anything from me, just hit me up. Thanks, thanks, man. I uh, appreciate having you on and telling your story and educating others on, on what works for you and might work for them. Yeah, and hey, uh, uh, Steve, hit me up. I forgot all about it until you taught, said my five-month-old puppy and then pulled him up. Um, send me a message tomorrow, and we'll do a uh, we'll get on either Instagram with with each other through the video um, or or on Facebook, what have you. I'll, I'll do a lesson with you on him at five months old. That's that's when you want to start, especially as big as he is, start teaching him how to move his back end. I call it uh, hip awareness, where they can learn to start moving like left and right. If you watch a lot of dogs, they can move frontwards, but they don't move back a lot. Teach them to move backwards and move side to side. So it's little games just luring them for food, and they just are, are following the food. They don't even realize they're learning it. And then oh, yeah, he's, them sit he's down, heel focus. So... And he's going to be a big boy. So, oh, yeah. Man, I appreciate it, guys. And y'all holler at me tomorrow. I, I would uh, I, I love appreciate to it, man. Again. No Thank problem, you. guys. Y'all have a good night. Sure. Big shout out to Nick for taking the time to come on. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, also, wanted to uh, quick shout out again the, the regenerative, or I'm sorry, wrong one. Uh, the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference uh we have uh, again shout out to uh colin mammoth p i got some hats to give away during the conference we got some bottles of mammoth p we got all kinds of i got stickers i got joints i got you know you want your uh yeah, joint. Mammoth, mammoth brand uh rolling papers oh papers 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 whatever papers joints <laughs> We got stickers, 
We got all kinds of good stuff. You know, thanks to Mammoth P. We got Recharge will be, be given out. We got nutrients from True Aquaponics. We got nutrients from Foop. We got all kinds of good stuff. We have some other sponsors who I'm forgetting at the moment that I apologize. Uh, we'll be highlighting each of our sponsors uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, so be sure to check that out over on our Instagram, on my Instagram at Potent Ponics. And uh, you know, we'll be here live on October 3rd and 4th at uh, 8 a.m. Pacific with a ton of education those two days, as well as free product giveaways for people around the country and the world. What's new with your garden, Marty? Or did you have anything my to add? Not really much with my garden at the moment. We still pretty hot here, so I haven't really uh, I haven't been pulling the, air, the trigger on air conditioning this year, so I'm just waiting for the next block. It's been about today. It was about 103 during the day, and let's see what it is right now. Nine o'clock at night. It is still 86 degrees outside, so um, not too bad, but also not great. It helps to be able to have. Uh, that cooler air to be able to blow in through your fan and put, keep the room cool. Because uh, I have plenty of exhaust, I can definitely turn the air over faster, but when the air outside is still like 85 degrees, um, it doesn't help cool things down as much. So we've got some plants in there that are vegging and I've still got some like tomatoes that are growing in there and different vegetables and stuff. Um, Let's see, I got one little plant in the outdoor that we threw out there that we thought might die, <laughs> but it, it pulled through and it started flowering. It's like maybe, I don't know, two or three feet tall, but nothing nothing fantastic, but fun. Um, we will break down on the greenhouse relatively soon. So that's gonna be great. Um, but really right now I've got a lot of stuff happening. My dad has stage five Parkinson's, so it takes up a lot of my time right now. And uh, so we're just working on a lot of fun stuff probably over the next couple of months um, as we do. I resigned from my IT job, so I've got time to spend with him and do different projects that are more fun than IT stuff, um, like this uh, conference that's coming up um, and uh, recording the class and different things like that. So we're, we're trying to have some fun with it. You'll probably cameo on the class once or twice. Um, uh, hanging out to be able to just kind of be my audience while recording. So that's uh, it helps out a lot just to have someone there to talk to. So look for him to, to video bomb me a couple of times. Uh, so he's he's a good character. It'd be fun. But so yeah, that's kind of the stuff that's happening with me right now. We're trying to organize like a, this community barbecue to help support some local guys here. Um, some local people here, I should say. Um, get the kids out. We've got, like I said, I got a box full of toys for them to paint and uh, working on that stuff. Working on my designs for that stuff I was talking about earlier, my adjustable use siphon and the um, dual roots on pod design. So got to polish up on some of my uh, 3D design skills so that I can take what's in my head and put it into something that I can eventually print and use. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be fun to Get all that stuff set up so just a lot of fun like side projects that i'm working on um so it'd be gonna be cool we'll go into probably like another couple weeks here of 
of heat and they'll start cooling off at nighttime and we'll start flowering again. Um, and uh, I can't wait for that. I mean, we still have plenty, not like we're running out. <laughs> but in the last harvest, we did pretty well. So, um, but I am excited to, uh, to see how we do on, on round two, how we do better uh, second time around. Hopefully we'll have the, <clears throat> the heat under control so we don't have that fox tailing that we had on the first run. But other than that, Aldi was great. We had some great uh, hash out of some of the trim. Got a bunch of it stored up. So all in all, pretty good, pretty good. Um, the bedroom's going well, getting ready to cut a bunch of clones, probably make some new moms. Um, I mean, we're producing something like 30 clones per mother every like three weeks, something like that. So doing, still doing really well there, even though we're not, not technically running as much light as we normally do even in the bedroom <clears throat> just to help keep things cool. So even even cutting back on that, we're still, I mean, like we talk about all the time, I mean, in cloning is so, in vegging plants and aquaponics, it's so easy and works so well that um, it's, it's just great. <laughs> no any other way to describe it. Um, you get these nice healthy plants that clone really easy and pop roots easy and um, yeah everything about vegging and cloning is going pretty well we've got two systems in the in the bedroom that we'll go over we've got the microscope set up down there a little spot for hen clones and stuff i printed the camera mount for down there so you guys can kind of look over my shoulder as we as we do stuff in live demonstrations so um, my brother James is going to be there also to kind of be a camera person. Um, I think he, he's too shy to get on the camera. I can't talk him into it yet, but we'll see. I'll sneak him on there somehow when he's not paying attention. Um, but he's going to be there, so that, that, that's going to be nice just to have a second pairing in. So we're going to try and do some, some cool stuff that we have always wanted to work into some of our other classes that it, we can, I think we can pull off in the recorded format. Um, a lot easier than we could in a live format. So like I said, we'll have the microscope hooked up so we can do a live microscoping, um, hopefully not just uh, pests, but also microbes, different teas, system water. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes once I get that mount printed up. But hopefully we can get it hooked up to the, the big microscope so we can actually look at, at microbes um, instead of just pests. But otherwise we have the small a microscope that we can hook up and use um, to identify pests that we've done before. And uh, that, that's always a lot of fun. In the uh, in-person class, we hooked it up to the projector and projected the images up onto a big screen. So it made it a lot easier for people to be able to, to see. The spider mites did creep out some people, which I can understand uh, that that large up on the screen. It was kind of makes you itch, but uh, it was it's very informative, really helps to be able to identify some of those pests so that when you, you see them or even just identifying their damage you know we found I think we found some aphids that time too so it was a, a good opportunity to identify that stuff um, in our in-person class so yeah I think that it's going to be a lot of fun I think the conference itself is going to be a lot of fun I'm excited for that too um, we want to get the class done before that um, so that'll be exciting 
and uh, I think that we'll be able to uh, just get a ton of information together out of the conference just based on the people that have already uh, signed up for it. If you guys haven't checked out Steve's, I don't know if you made it or who made the, the fancy little flyer, but it's very nice. I like it a lot. And uh, it's posted in the, on a Canvas Growers group. It's posted on my Instagram, Steve's Instagram. Um, so definitely go check that out. Uh, there's a whole list of names on there. Steve, is there, uh, let's see that I have it up here. I don't have the latest updated flyer on me, but I know that um, uh, Tanner Stewart from Stewart Farms is, will be joining us. Uh, the gentleman from Habitat Life, uh, Liam Keys. Um, we have uh, uh, Rasta Jeff from iReGenetics is also uh, one of our newer speakers. He's not currently on there. Uh, Dragonfly Earth Medicine will be part of our breeder panel. Uh, we have um, uh, Chris Trump and Chris Trump and Wendy Cronenberg speaking on Korean natural farming. We have um, uh, uh, Murray Hollum. We have uh, Wade. Or I'm sorry. Uh, uh, sorry, almost gave away one that we haven't announced yet. Uh, Leonard, Dr. Leonard Wilson uh, <laughs> and uh, some other people. Um, we have. Uh, Sorry, there's some people that were kind of trickling out. I'm trying to have like a different announcement in the last couple of weeks and then, uh, you know, highlight different sponsors and stuff so that it's a little bit more fun and um, stuff like that. So uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else do we have on there uh, that I'm forgetting. I'm sure somebody that I'm forgetting that's going to get upset, but uh, we have a wide list of different sponsors. I think we have, we're up to six or eight different sponsors, eight different sponsors, I think total that'll be giving away different products. And I know we have a, a couple more that have um, just not sent their stuff over yet. Uh, that we're going to announce as soon as it gets here and uh yeah i'm just really stoked on this going to be kind of an education jam fest uh, free for everybody uh you know we're not asking for anything and then um yeah marty and i are trying to get the uh the class ready for the fall you know a lot of people are, are going to be looking to bunker down for the winter and really uh you know educate themselves especially with uh with uh you know current global events uh, what better time to, to educate yourself on this uh, in depth and then you know, also being able to provide a much longer in-depth class that has a lot of video footage and pictures that we really haven't had a chance to share with you guys that we, we've filmed at different consulting clients that we, you know, have, have a chance to share with you. Especially in the way of pests, you know, uh, I'm glad we had the conversation tonight about posting, you know, kind of things gone sideways. Uh, anyone that follows my Instagram, I try to post one, at least one of those a month uh, from, from various consulting clients that I've walked into and gone, Oh man. Okay. Well, let's take some, some documenting pictures so we can show people good examples of this and then, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> address the problem. But, but that's one thing I want to highly emphasize. If you, if you have something screwed up, take pictures because you might be able to show someone much farther progressed and they might not understand the severity of a problem and how quickly it could spiral out of control without seeing what it looks like three, four or six, eight weeks farther down the line. So, so even if you have a spectacular failure, document it and save. You don't have to share it with anybody. You don't even have to tell them where it is, but say, hey, I, you know, I, I saw this one time or I saw a forum post, you know, make it up. Tell them that you got it offline. You don't have to know it's from your grow, um, you know, <laughs> but, but, but use, the, use it as an educational okay. tool. I just, I mean, I don't even care. I, have, I get shit all the time for stuff I posted on my YouTube like five fucking years ago about Me when too. I got PM one time. And then I posted out it, you know, like I still get, I still have to like 
deal with people commenting on it, but it's still worth it. Like you just fucking ignore them. Like, of course, like who has grown indoors and not gotten either PM or spider mites? Like, yeah, who hasn't? So, um, they say and, they have the line, and they're and especially if you start now, you're going to. So, people are going to need to see what it looks like. There's no point in just posting everything good. Like, it just it's always seems silly to me. So, um, so yeah, and <laughs> I and actually one of my oldest videos for whatever reason gets tons of views um, on it. I mean, that's just for whatever reason. I don't know. If, I'm I'm assuming other people also had PM and we're looking up how to deal with it. And that's probably why it gets because it's in the title. I don't know why randomly one video out of a whole series on like my second or third run, I think I got PM in one of my flower rooms uh, when I had to just grow up. Yeah, my, my highest viewed video is I randomly decided to do a video on how to top your plants. And that just happens to be the one that has like a quarter million views on my channel. Yeah, because people want to top their plants. I think that it's kind of the same line. A lot of people get PM. <laughs> That's probably why those get more views than others. So, I mean, personally, I think if you're just going to hide everything that you fuck up, then you're, what's the point? You know, like, why are you? I mean, I guess you can still share what works, but it seems like you're, you're shorting the people that are going to try and do the same stuff that you are. Like, why not help somebody avoid PM spreading to the point where it's irrecoverable, but whatever. I, and like I said, I still get people come on there all the time. I guess that's probably part of the reason why people don't. It's just because you get flack for posting it. People saying all kinds of ridiculous shit on it. So, um, yeah. Like one guy insisted that I probably killed someone with my PM. And I'm like, no, I cut it all off and threw it away. Just took video of it so people knew what it looked like. <laughs> Not smoking PM or distributing it to neighborhood kids or anything like that. Oh yes. No. I had I remember I was consulting for a, a gentleman under 51 farms um down in San Diego that uh I bought in a giant bag of, of weed and um it was like oh look how frosty this was, but it smelled like you know a high school locker room and he just didn't understand what he's looking at. So you, you never know who you were going to end up with. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one thing to you know, post a video and be like, here, this is what PM looks like and educate people. But if you're posting your PM covered buds as an example of how great you are, then that's probably not not the same thing, not advisable. Um, you're, you're, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I do understand some of the frustration around it, but I think as long as you're documenting it and you're you're saying, hey, this is what it is and this is why I'm, I'm taking pictures of it and um, what I'm gonna do about it. And I, you know, like, why not? What's the, I feel like everything else would just be like ego driven. Like, oh no, I killed a plant. I mean, I've killed lots of plants. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> you can get clones and seeds and stuff. I mean, like, I think that was probably one of the things I had to learn more than anything was not to just like try to save every single plant, um, especially when you got them from other people. And that was obviously a large part of my problem in the beginning was just kind of like you were saying, you know, you get plants from other people and you get excited about cuts and you, uh, you know, even, even in my quarantine processes, I just got lazy with them. 
or when I moved here, I didn't really set up the quarantine area to start with. Especially, especially just, just to back up what you're saying, not to interrupt you, but I just want to hammer that, that point home that you just mentioned is that, you know, newer markets, they're super flavor of the month. What's fab, what's fad, what's popular right now. And it can be hard. You can have stuff that's fire, that's, that's, you know, tests really well, high in terps, high in cannabinoids. And it's hard to move because it's not one, it's not a dessert or a fucking fruit. Yeah. And it does lend to, um, you know, it lends to shortcutting, I guess, in, in that you try, people try to just, bring in stuff from outside all the time instead of do your own hunts and do your own, you know, pop your own seeds and um, really, really do the full thing. So that's what um, <clears throat> I still have those seeds from uh, Mr. Green Jeans, which I'm going to uh, pop for this next run. And uh, that's going to be exciting. That's the Pineapple Jack. And the, how does he say that one? The KK Kush? What is it? The the Kajua Kush? Kaloja, I think. Kaloja. Kaloja? with an F, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Anyway. Fijoa Kush, that's what it is. Fijoa Kush. Kajoa? That sounds more like what he said. Anyway, so that's going to be exciting. Pineapple Jack sounds amazing. He, of course, if you get all Mr. Green Jeans, if you get stuff from him, it always comes with like this cool backstory of where the genetics have been in the last 30 years, which is super fun. I love that guy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to grow that. I grew um, Jack before, I think in my first outdoor, I loved it, it was, it was amazing. So I'm excited to see what that's like crossed with pineapple. I love pineapple too. Although the, I guess there's not really many strains I don't like all that much. I'm not, I'm not super big on cookies. I did like the, um, the platinum cookies crossed with blue power. If I never see, I never see citrus sap in cookies again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> um, and uh, but for the most part, everything else, um, unless I've smoked a lot of it, that's really about the only thing that I uh, um, that I, I guess I distaste. Like when I, I smoked a lot of Agent Orange for a while, and I I have smoked some since and it was much more enjoyable but i feel like i was pretty worn out on it after a while um but yeah other than that that's, that's about it um and i guess maybe that was a little bit true of the cookies too because i had like three different cuts of cookies that i grew over about a year so i had a lot of cookies to smoke also i suppose that would also be part of the reason for my bias but i don't really have any that i i guess that i haven't liked um, other people, have, I guess, have in that, like the peach frost. Frost had a couple of people say that they gave them anxiety attacks. Um, they felt like they got too high, whatever, whatever that means. Yeah, and um, I know uh, Josh is also speaking here at the Regen Conference. Marty's speaking at the Regen, or not Regen Conference, virtual. <laughs> I'm sorry. Too, too used sorry. to doing I'll, conferences I'll with Josh. I'll um, take it. Uh, it's a compliment for sure. Um, uh, 
so uh, Josh, you know, both of these gentlemen and myself will be speaking at the virtual aquaponic cannabis conference uh, um, coming up here. And, uh, you know, it's getting kind of late. I know I'm exhausted from working. I was up in Tulsa earlier this week, consulting and drove back yesterday and got no sleep and then immediately went to, uh, work in the lab all day. And so, uh, I think we'd, we'd like to wrap it up. So, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you there, uh, Josh? Um, regenerativeseeds.com, um, is, is my new website. Uh, where I sell seeds, and uh, you want to you want to tell everybody a little bit more about that? We haven't uh, you haven't really mentioned that yet on the show. Yeah, um, basically, uh, it, it's uh, the the concept is that all the the folks involved, all the guys who breed, the breeders that we I brought in, um, they grow in living soil, and um, over over generation, there's literally biology on the plant on the soil that's transferred transferred. And uh, the plants themselves end up, you know, having an intelligence on, on how to process that type of food. Um, so that's kind of the basis for the idea of it. And uh, I think it's a pretty cool idea. And we got some really cool breeders involved. Um, I'm not going to start listing them because I'm really tired and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up and forget people. Um, but um, you guys should check it out. It's regenerativeseeds.com. And um, a portion of all the... Um, sales goes to uh seed preservation and i'm kind of still uh working out exactly how that's going to work out but i have been stockpiling money um for preservation and doing some preservation work on my own and um trying to kind of expound on that so yeah that's kind of my one of my main avenues right now that, that i'm working on and then uh um the conferences i'm, I'm really not sure what's going to happen you know um, I, I, am not, uh, skilled technology, technologically to do, um, online stuff. And, um, so I'm just kind of waiting on the, uh, waiting on the COVID and see what happens and waiting it out, you know, and then we'll get back on the road. Awesome. Well, uh, that, that's really cool that you're putting those seeds out there and, and, you know, uh, conglomerating other uh, producers and breeders into one place so that people can find them as a resource. That's really, really cool. Um, Marty's uh, looks like he dropped off, but his channel is AP Meds, uh, is also as a Patreon. I know he does quite a bit of content on there as well. Uh, and then Em and I also do a, a class that, again, we'll be putting out here in a couple of weeks. And you can find me at Potent Products on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, uh, uh, I Love Growing Marijuana, WeedTube, all the thousand different places that we are up there. I think we're on over 250 different podcast platforms now, including Spotify. So, um, you know, whatever is convenient for you, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, thank everybody. Thanks to everybody out there supporting us. And uh, we'll catch you guys again next week. Uh, I think we're going to be down to one show a week. Uh, my, I have a company and getting off the ground here in Oklahoma. We our supply or the demand for our product has been psychotic. So um, I've been working very long days uh, and um, yeah, it's been going quite well, but uh, it means I have to work very hard. So I think one day a week is going to be at least a little bit easier for me to do it for the short term until things get a little bit more balanced out. Um, but uh, it's not because of bad things. I'll put it that way. So already uh, we'll also be doing a, an on-site filming at a hemp grow in Georgia here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think uh, end of September, early October, which is going to be really cool. 
uh, to see an southern east coast cannabis grow, which I have never seen or even heard of. So that's going to be really awesome. They're, they're flying me out there. So that's going to be cool. Uh, and then some other cool stuff that's going on. So uh, we'll see you guys here soon. And we'll have some pretty cool, unique content here in the next few weeks. Take care.